my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just a little breakfast. Hello. Time cop, time cop, time cop. Ninety ninety one. Time cop, time cop, time cop. Ninety ninety one. We're gonna talk some shit. Time cop. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit, DIY, punk and trashy movies brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan and welcome to episode 40 of Breakfast Punks. As you may know if you regularly listen to us, every 10th episode we do a special Time Cop episode where we have a special guest, Mr. Timebot500. Hello, Briggs. Uh, he's horrible to us. <laughs> he's, got an attitude, he's developed more of an attitude over the course of every episode. Of yeah, it, right? it's our fourth episode with him and he hates us. I think it's because we keep putting him in a cupboard. Uh, fair enough. Every, he goes 20 weeks in the cupboard and then comes back out. So if you have listened before, you probably know how a Time Cop episode works. But if you haven't, Timebot 500 takes us to a different year in the past and we learn a little bit about the culture of those times, music and film. And basically, it's a good excuse for me and Dave to usually look into years that we probably wouldn't have looked at otherwise. Um, So in the past, we've done 1966, 1974, 2003, and this time we have 1991. So that sounds like it's interesting to you and you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and listen to the ones before. (laughs) There are least popular episodes. Yep, by everyone far. hates these. <laughs> and uh, well, we're insisting on continuing to do them. Yeah, we started it, and so we are going to stubbornly continue with it. <laughs> I think this uh, runs the risk of being the last time we ever do this. Yeah, possibly. What will happen to me? Um, oh, the bin, mate. Uh, the, bin. the bin. Yeah, yeah. you're gone. <laughs> you can get ground up and put in the cat's dinner. Oh no, that's really harsh. We couldn't feed the cat a robot. That's a bit harsh. Murderous, murderous time bot. So as mentioned, these episodes are a good opportunity to look at years we wouldn't normally cover. And this time we've got 1991. I thought a little mindless headbanging music would cheer him up. Maybe change his outlook. I was only too right. Oh, we got a problem here? Don't we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? Drop that zero and give it to you. We are your strength. We are your warriors. The future is ours. Either the greatest bomb villain of all time, or how are you? Closer, please. Closer. Smells like teen spirit. Smells like the ocean. It's so good. Wow, smells really natural. I'm a smellologist. It is Caribbean cool. And this smells good. I knew it smelled like teen spirit. Hey, this is for girls. This smells like teen spirit. Can I have it? Uh, those snazzy intros are getting less and less snazzy every single uh, time. I, I feel like they're quite snazzy. <laughs> Still snazzy. Very good skills. Very. I've always thought of you as technologically savvy. Well, I didn't do it. Time about 500. Oh, sorry. Those. Of course. No, he does. He does a very good job. I am genius. 
Yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, you are genius. Very yes. much. So. <laughs> uh, what did you think when we pulled 1991 out of Timebot 500's rusting inside? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this would be a good one. I mean, what was I? I was two. So, you know, my memory of 1991 is non-existent. We were all young, Siobhan. Uh Well, no. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I figured a pretty, a pretty good year for culture, for fun, for music specifically. Movies are going to get good. I was pretty excited. I thought, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be an awful lot to discuss. But yeah, looking forward to it. How about you? Well, yeah, that was the biggest problem, it turned out. I thought this is going to be the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> uh, I thought the last two weeks were going to be amazing. Yeah. Because I spent them just watching things and listening to things from 1991. And I was right, but yeah. it is, and just a sort of warning to everybody now, there is way too much fucking stuff in <laughs> 1991. It's an absolute disaster as far as trying to, like, mention everything that is good. Yeah. I made a list of the albums that I wanted to talk about that I thought... I do, I've done this every time, like the albums that you just absolutely had to talk about. Must no mentions. way, there's no way you can't discuss these albums. Yeah. And I think, I haven't actually counted it, but there's over, there's like 60 or something. Jesus. And that's with cutting out, that's with being really harsh and cutting out loads of other really fucking good albums. Yeah. The same with movies, there's fucking millions of movies. So, whilst that's obviously a joy, <laughs> it is going to make this episode kind of difficult i think we're a probably going to have to not concentrate too much on cultural events and news yeah and i think we're just going to have to get into more music stuff what we want to talk about like i say just a warning we're definitely going to miss some incredible albums and some very famous albums mm -hmm. i mean we on the 1966 episode we didn't talk once about the beatles yeah, I'm but that I feel like, of. yeah, that so was determined. So we might determined. have to do the same with Nirvana this time, I'm not really sure. Uh... But I feel like we're probably going to end up talking about it <laughs> to some extent. It's hard, it's really hard, it's hard to have such a good year. And it did make me really realise how fucking amazing everything was. In 1991. Well, just, I suppose it's like an early 90s thing more than anything else. I feel like you'd have been just, just coming into your own as an... As a young teen. Oh, so, yeah, as a human a being. A very young teen, I was sorry. A, I was a 10 or 11-year-old human being in yeah. 1991. And things moved slower. So I think that when I got started getting into music in about 92, which is when I really became obsessed with music and everything, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the stuff that I listened to then was from 1991. Yeah, that would make sense. You know, just because it was a bit slow. So, I mean, you yeah. know, and, but also because things hang around. You know, yeah. Use Your Illusions, both albums came out by Guns N' Roses, like, they probably, yeah. you know, they were still touring that album. Exactly. So, it is the era. It's the reason for your being? Yeah, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably the reason that I've ended up the way I have, for all good or ills. <laughs> <laughs> Time Cop, 1991, the Dave progression, I don't fucking know. But, what, but, yeah, but also, there's another side to that where it's like, yes, there's a load of more mainstream stuff that I was falling into, yeah. but also, there's loads of stuff that then you discover later on. Mm. Was all the, happening. You know, there's loads of bands who I didn't get into until, say, the late 90s released their best albums yeah. in 1991, things like that. I mean, I would say, I, again, having only been two at the time, and I was became aware of the more mainstream stuff later down the line, but I feel like I'm on a bit of a punk rediscovery through the last 10 years because I just kind of missed it all. Like, I, I don't know, when I left home, I was going to the crappy gigs in Norwich, so I only knew, like, a various small amount of music and then yeah now I'm having the best time like rediscovering stuff and there is so much in this kind of like 
era of music yeah. that you're right it's just some people just did their best stuff now uh, we've talked about this as well and uh, uh, before about this idea that culture moves in these waves where you have these long periods that are just full of negativity and shit yeah and then you have these often not quite as long but relatively long periods that always follow them where it's like everything looks everything gets good, good. And I think that 91 is literally when the 90s version of that, oh, everything's great. And don't get me wrong, yeah. it wasn't that everything was great. There was great. It was loads of shit going yeah. on, unquestionably. But there was kind Some of just... Big because it's all about reality, isn't it? In people's minds, I think that the 90s were a time when everybody looked on with the, with yeah. the cup half full. Yeah. As opposed to from September 11th, pretty much onwards. Yeah, exactly. Where everything was very much cup, cup half empty. You know. And I think that we're still in that... Cup yeah. half empty time, and I don't. And I do have a theorem, which I may have said on this podcast before, that we are due to go into an era of positivity. Yeah, uh, I think social media is going to kill that. I don't think that's ever going to happen, and I think the world's just going to end. But a lot of the shit that was going on in the, in in the run up to nineteen ninety one is exactly, and we'll talk yeah. about this more. Exactly what's going on right now. Yeah, just Agreed. obviously different. Obviously in a different setting. Yeah. So yeah, so I think there's something to take from that. I think there is too. Well, I look forward to the the good times. We're all just going to burn. Oh dear. To, to burn? Well, yeah. Aww. Time Bot 500 lived through a lot more of these negative and positive <laughs> uh, times than we have. So well, I suppose he might know better than us. We got through Skynet, but the year of <laughs> well, Skynet. You mean the fictional yeah, problem? Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's coming. Maybe, 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 I don't know. What year was that meant to have all happened in? 2017? It didn't just, yeah, I thought it was just supposed to have happened. Just supposed to have happened. Maybe we've put it off a little bit, but time bot might Thank know. God we lived through that fictional apocalypse. <laughs> um, okay, let's get into that. We like I say, there's so much shit yep. to cover. We're going to just cover everything briefly, but we're going to go into our first subject. So, time bot five hundred. If you could butter up your systems. <laughs> That's right, news and cultural affairs, of as course. he clearly said. Of course, I thought it was youth and cultural affairs. <laughs> so, clearly. we start all of these, I believe, dun, with dun, one dun. of Siobhan's patented quizzes. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Oh, there you go. You're probably going to have to wait about three hours until you understand that reference point, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid. There was a New York Supreme Court case this year called Stambonsky versus Ackley. It was called the Ghostbusters case. Oh. Why? What was it and why? Oh, shit, I read this. It's that you can pull out of the sale of a house uh-huh. uh, if you decide that it's haunted. Pretty much, if you pretty can prove much. that it's haunted. But it... you can't prove that it's haunted because it's a load of shit. So. <laughs> so, what came out of it was the court ruled that a seller must disclose or inform the purchaser of a haunting of a property. <laughs> so, they, all they've got to do is tell you if it's haunted or not. But presumably the court case was that somebody bought a house from somebody else and then moved into it. It was, and it was like, motherfucker, this there's, was haunted There's all a along. fucking ghost here, you didn't tell me. This is absurd. It is, it's a, it is. <laughs> the Soviets were understandably upset this year. We'll get to that more later. But there was one, <laughs> there was one TV interview that freaked them out quite a bit. What was it? I have no idea at all. Did somebody say that there was nuclear weapons somewhere? I don't know. No, there was a spoof interview given on Soviet TV that purported that Vladimir Lenin ate so many magic mushrooms that he became one himself. 
And because it was presented so seriously, many thousands of Soviet people believed the interview was genuine and rang the police station. Uh, like, no, the world. rang the TV station. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Lenin was a mushroom. Who goes on Terry Wogan and announces that he is the son of God? Oh, David, I, I do you know what? I had no idea that was 1991. I've done all of this fucking research <laughs> into this year. One of my favourite things to ever happen. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. He's beautiful, beautiful man in that <laughs> gone... lovely tracksuit. Oh, he's such an ugly tracksuit. It's so wears, beautiful. He still wears that fucking tracksuit. I'm not that, that actual tracksuit because he's much fatter. <laughs> oh, is he fat now? <laughs> well, he's much fatter than he was when he was just coming off the end of a professional football career, yes. <laughs> oh, fair, fair. <laughs> oh, the beginning of David Icke's lunacy. Mm. So good, so good. If you haven't seen it, go look at it because it's fucking brilliant. What excuse did British Rail give for trains halted by the snow? Apparently this is quite a famous excuse they gave this year um what on earth would that be i don't know the trains could skid on a rail i don't know <laughs> it's the wrong type of snow oh they weren't expecting yeah. it apparently that's famous again i don't remember thankfully <laughs> um and the last but not least everyone went a little bit mental about kentucky fried chicken changing its name to kfc they there was many reasons uh it, ultimately it was kentucky being used too much the word fried Gave it an unhealthy twinge. But what did some conspiracy theorists believe was the real reason? I've definitely read this as well, but I can't remember. It's something like uh, it was never chicken in the first place. It was some sort of alien or something. <laughs> but the, it's funny because I think that they changed their name. I don't know if this is true, but when I was a little kid, everyone just called it Kentucky Fried Rat. <laughs> That was like, and I and I and I just always thought there was like, I think it was like a mythical story that was probably in the Daily Star or something that once someone ate a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it turned out to be a rat. How they found that out or what, I have no idea. Well, I think I've seen like images of random deep fried rodents like in the Sun or the Daily Star or stuff over the years. Yeah, so it's probably one of them. But yeah, so I feel like that's probably the reason. But yeah, I definitely read this about the conspiracy theories. It's so wonderful. Loads of people thought that they had to remove the word chicken because KFC were artificially creating mutant chickens that were born without heads <laughs> um, just to get the like the meaty bits off of them. And so therefore they reckoned they couldn't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken because chicken was the problematic word <laughs> because technically what they're using were mutants. But, what, but hold on. It's still called KFC, which stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know, chicken. but I think so, it's just objective, like, just using the word chicken. They were like, ah, oh, that's why they've removed it. But they would use chicken, that's what I'm trying to say. If yeah. you go into a KFC, you would still say, can I buy that chicken? <laughs> yeah, I right? guess, yeah, I There'd guess so. There'd still be chicken on their menu. Of course, but conspiracy theories, are they reasonable? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Depends yeah. if you're David Icke. Okay, so as there is so much stuff to get through, mm-hmm. we're probably not going to talk too much about the really big news stories of the day yes. back in 1991, but it's worth saying that the Persian Gulf War was going on and was kind of finishing. Yeah. Well, the first one was finishing. I mean, obviously it never really finished. <laughs> Apartheid was repealed. Uh, we watched a documentary. Yes. Called, well, we watched part of a documentary because we absolutely just couldn't bear it. It's quite awful. Um, so... We had we did this in a very silly way, really, because th- I think this covers a lot of the cultural events that we're going to probably talk about. We saved all of the documentary watching till yesterday. Yes. And then we watched a load of documentaries, which all just ended up about being so depressing and basically about massive racists. And the last one that we watched was called The Leader, His Driver and the Driver's Wife which is by Nick Broomfield, who's quite a famous documentary maker, who weirdly much later made a 
film about Kurt and Kurt Cobain and Courtney oh, Love that. about how Courtney Love possibly murdered him and it was all that ah. conspiracy theory. But obviously that was uh, in the future. But he made this movie and I thought it was about apartheid ending. Yeah. And it wasn't. He was just following around this incredibly horrible racist man. Yeah, like a white power group who and their leader. Called Eugene Terry Blanche, who was an African nationalist and white supremacist who started the African resistance movement. And he was a horrible shit. He was a fucking nasty and, piece of shit. And South Africa just looked um, unbelievably unpleasant it just in this awful, fucking movie. It? They were still going around sterilising people and it was just fucking horrible. And it, like I say, it came at the end of this long day where we just watched loads of documentaries about racists. Yeah. And it just became a bit too much. But yeah, we were only really able to watch about half of that film because we'd watched all of these other fucking horrible films. <laughs> and the one that we watched about yeah. the extreme right. The like win. white power horrible people in America. Yeah, who have now become the alt-right. But there really isn't any difference whatsoever. And that was quite an interesting thing. This documentary was called Blood in the Face. Michael Moore had something to do with it. Yeah. He didn't make it, but he must have been his first film project. Yeah, he he seems to be doing part of the interviewing and the, like, talking to these people directly. Yeah. And it was an interesting documentary because... uh, I feel like, again, we talked about this about some other documentaries. It was the type of thing that would just not be made in this day and age because what they did was they just let these white power people talk. Yeah. And as a result make themselves look fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that's it. They didn't kind of... Until the end, they didn't really go in with any kind of opinion, the filmmakers, that is. They kind of went in there and and the people who they're interviewing kept saying, like, oh, we've let you come in here. We don't know why you're doing it. but So they must have come across as quite neutral to get in. Yeah. And then at the end, they do kind of say, you know, I don't believe what you believe. Mm. Um, And then their opinion was... Well, we're using you to get our message out there anyway, so ha 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 ha. But in the meantime, all they've done is made themselves look horrible and stupid. And of course, some of that is probably as a result... Well, I mean, all of it is a result of them being horrible, stupid people. Yeah. But also, obviously, it was edited in a way that really made them look like buffoons. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that was too hard to do, in fairness. Because even the stuff where people weren't actively making themselves look like buffoons... It made the white power movement in America in 1990 or 1991, whenever it was actually filmed, just look really sad and pathetic. And old and really old, old men. Yeah. <laughs> just... Well, they were saying in their speeches and things some incredibly unpleasant things mm. with some incredibly unpleasant words involved, oh as God. I'm sure anybody can imagine. But one of the interesting things I found about watching this documentary, and it was a bit on a whim, to be honest, it was just like, oh, this you know, might be vaguely interesting. When you watch the trailer of this movie, it looks as if, to be honest, it's basically just a load of people giving white power speeches, mm. and it's just filming them. Yeah. That's the whole trailer, and it's like, shit, is this... It was obviously not a racist documentary itself, but... It was just racists talking about racist shit. And you kind of thought, have they just cut together all of this to create something that is, like, powerful and, like, look how stupid they are and look how forceful they are. But that trailer, I think, is just a clip. Yeah, like, it, like yeah, it's not like even, couple, like... maybe, but yeah. Yeah, it's not, like, specifically cut together to make them look extra racist or extra horrible or stupid. It's just yeah. how they came out. They were just kind of, like, witnesses to this 
horrendous stuff, which is useful because as much as these people think they're in the right, they're not so in the right that they were obviously being seen everywhere because this stuff was so illegal. So it was kind of like people's way to see what the fuck is going on in these places where they're doing all these white power stuff because unless you're there you don't know it wasn't in the deep south either i think it was in illinois yeah but the interesting thing that i found about it watching it 30 whatever years later was that in a lot of ways it looked exactly the same as the white power movement Mm -hmm. in 2022 yeah we recently watched that new program on netflix which is all about people using the internet. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but people using the internet to, to do unpleasant things. Yeah. And one of them was all about the alt-right, and it was all about that um, march in the university in Carolina and the alt-right movement generally yeah. and Proud Boys and all that shit. And it could have literally just been exactly the same. Yeah. If anything, possibly you could argue that the racists of today... This isn't a good thing. The races of today are a little bit more careful about some of the words that they use and things like that. And they're they're also, a bit more media savvy and stuff. They're also a lot younger. Well, they're, they're, I don't think they are that much younger. I think they're probably the same age as a lot of these people were, if that makes sense. They just, people in 1991 do look older <laughs> than people in 2022. I think that's Yeah, fair enough. But also, I think there is something to take from it. There's two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, my, my initial feelings was, oh my God, it's so depressing. This shit in 1991... It's just exactly the same as mm. the shit that's going on now. This is so depressing. But in a lot of ways, watching it was quite heartwarming in as much as both of those documentaries, if you compare them directly, it's more or less the same amount of people. The people have changed because, thankfully, a lot of the racists who are old, a lot of them will be dead. Yeah. So, in a way, it's easier to watch this documentary from 1991 <laughs> knowing full well that all... It's the same with the South African uh, group. In the other documentary, it's like you can watch it much more comfortably because you know they died. And a lot of those South Africans died in really unpleasant ways as well, which is, you know, I hate to celebrate horrible people's deaths. But uh, actually, no, I don't. I really love to celebrate horrible people's deaths. Um, But yeah, I do think that there's something to take from that, which is that in 1991, they were having all the same discussions, both the racists were and the anti-racists were, about Mm -hmm. how the end of the world is coming, you know, we're, there's going to be a race war in the next 10 years yeah. or whatever, no question, that all the people that were worried about them were saying there's these militias everywhere, they're going to start killing us, they're going to start attacking people, they're going to start doing all of these things. Then In the next 10 years or the next 15 years, there's going to be all of these various problems. Yeah. And that's kind of exactly how we view racists now, or any probably any group who we find threatening. And I suppose there is something to take from the fact that, no, that actually didn't happen. What happened was a load of really sad, pathetic people all just sort of existed within their own little bubble. Yeah. And bothered each other about how upset they are about, you know, race mixing and all this shit. And, yeah, I don't know. I think that there is something positive to take from that. I mean, I think it looks scarier now, but when you watch it in 1991, knowing that it wasn't really that scary, it looks scary then. True. I mean, I guess where does this link to Trump getting big and stoking all those people to go to the Capitol and QAnon? Like, that kind of all is the the right hidden in... Well, it's not hidden, modern, really, Well, yeah, yeah, it's not hidden, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the right wrapped up in something that got huge. Well, that's the problem so, with the internet and algorithmic well, thinking. Well, this is it. I mean, I think the thing is that the, the in 1991, there was... I would 
I mean, I can't say this for absolute certain, but I think it's not unfair to say there was probably more racists in the world in 1991 than there are in 2022. But I think that's the a very generalised. Maybe, but I think the ones in 2022 are very secure in what they believe. But that's but well, and that's what I, I think back then might have been like a, a misunderstanding and stupidness. Whereas now we have the information to better ourselves, but some people have used that to really reaffirm their racism. But people in 1991 didn't think that they were stupid. They thought they were incredibly clever. And that's mm. the same as the alt-right now. Yeah. They're all stupid as well, but they, you know, they're just more media savvy. Yeah. But my point was really that the racists were a lot more quiet in 1991 because there was no Facebook. Yeah. There was no, there was no way of them connecting. So most racists just sat at home and complained to their wife each other. and their TV. Yeah. Well, probably not even to each other. They probably didn't even, probably didn't talk to any other racists. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I get that. So I think, it's, I think the difference there is just one of purely, like, connectivity. Yeah. I don't think it's that the problem is worse now than it was at any other time. Oh, I don't know. I'm not so sure, but I don't want to get into a negative cycle. So <laughs> let's yes. move on. <laughs> 2022 is, is the first year of this positive movement. <laughs> the positive stuff is coming. And then by chance, really, one of the other documentaries that got made in 1991, which sort of has a similar weird message about all of this stuff is that there was a documentary a rather tacky tv made documentary which was called trump what's the deal <laughs> and um from what i can i couldn't ever quite get to the bottom of exactly what the story is but i think this was a documentary that was made in 1991 trump didn't like that it was made took the filmmakers to court or did something mm. legally to stop it coming out i don't know whether i don't think it was ever shown and then at right. some point during his presidential campaign, they felt like they got it out. They got it out, and it and it was shown at some point, or it was put up online. Okay, basically. yeah. I don't know if that's true because it appears to be something that was definitely shown on the telly back in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, or but, at least made to go on the telly. Oh anyway. yeah, it definitely yeah. was. But this is a really interesting documentary to watch in twenty twenty two. It's kind of horrible and kind of amazing. It's um, weird. More, yeah, it's, it is. It's just so fucked up. So it's about Donald Trump's kind of rise to power and fame because for some reason in 1991 and just before it, celebrities could just be really rich people. And that's what he was. He was just... Well, also, according, I can't remember who it was who said, uh, oh, he's so sexy. He's so sexy. He's so <laughs> handsome. He's fucking grim, obviously. So grim. But um, he basically was really famous for just being fucking rich. But this documentary is a bit about how he was wasn't really rich he was you know worth this he claimed he'd be worth so much money but he actually carried with him three times that amount in debt and it was just his addiction to continuing to look powerful and rich yeah and the Uh, dodgy ways that he managed to maintain that yeah which is something that was found out about him really recently like during his he's still in that position he's basically bankrupt now yeah I guess what's weird is all of this information was being brought to the fore in the lead up to him being the presidential candidate and then being president. And you just think it was fucking insane then when we were starting to talk about, do you remember his past? But seeing this made in 1991 about this fucking ludicrous man who keeps doing the wrong thing, keeps ignoring people, keeps... Um, he's got really intelligent advisors going, this is the worst thing you could do. And him just shouting at them, telling them that they're wrong and he's going to do it anyway. I mean, there's that awful bit at the end where someone said, this man's either going to go crazy and live on his own, hold up in a house. And drink his own piss. Yeah. I think he says it. Or he's going to be president. Yeah. And you're just like, 
Well, no, he's, uh, he actually says, or he's going to rule the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the so interesting thing about it is that it's made just as he's gone bankrupt. Yeah. So everybody talking in this is like Donald Trump is over. Yeah. And that's kind of what that guy was sort of going down. It's like he's never going to be able to just go and tend his garden yeah. in some small house out in the middle of nowhere and just be out of the public eye. He's addicted like, to he's attention. totally addicted to attention. So therefore, yeah, like you say, he's going to either drink his own piss in his, in his crazy flat somewhere or rule the world or rule the world or you know I would add to that he could quite easily have killed someone or something he would have done something horribly criminal to you know in some way but yeah I mean it is just a portrait of a psychopath and again in a a funny sort of way it could have been made it could have been made this year I mean nothing really changed he's just done more of the same he's just been he's just been the fucking president (laughs) it's so insane and the people who made that if they're still around now must have just been like fuck we like this is so so horrendous the world at the moment but yeah i just thought it was so interesting that two things that just happened to get made in this year were so weirdly topical mm. for stuff that's that we've been talking about on this podcast yeah and stuff, you know like in the last year or so it's kind of crazy and it was kind of horrible to watch yeah. just being like god this is so mad oh god this is so happening still <laughs> in a weird and different way one thing that did end completely which i guess started the like feeling of joy and positivity that spread was the cold war officially ended and look how that turned out everything's fine with it <laughs> hey everything's fine now <laughs> everything's fine but we had a little spell where we thought everything might have been okay and in much less positive news uh, rodney king is viciously murdered by the lapd luckily caught on video it does then start the la riots the next year but um yeah, that kind of shows a bit of what the culture was like in America at that time to be a black person. And the, I mean, all that white power stuff we've already indicated. There's also this stuff going on with police brutality and generally guns in L.A., which in some ways probably hasn't changed. I think that it shows the two different faces of racism as well. Yeah. Isn't it? That documentary is about people that were literally dressed as Nazis. Yeah. There's a difference between that sort of racism and then, you know, cops beating up a black guy yeah. because they decide that he's, you know, that he's done something wrong. Yeah. Uh, final big story before moving on to some silly ones. Jeffrey Dahmer is caught. Woo-woo! <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer being... <laughs> that's where you just blow a trumpet for him. I know. might not know who he is. Oh, who doesn't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is? I think probably loads of oh, people. Come Jeffrey on. Dahmer was a serial killer in Chicago. I mean, <laughs> who, yeah, definitely not. Killed, I think, something like 20-odd gay men who he took back to his house ate a few he ate some he drilled things into their heads he cut bits off of them and laid with them yeah one of them was when he was alive there's a really weird story where he drills a hole he was trying he had this idea of turning his victims into like automatons yeah so that he could because all he wanted to do he didn't really even want to have sex with them he just wanted to lay with them because he really liked people's chests so he oh. just wanted. He just wanted. So he used to like have uh, mannequins and stuff that he used to. Yeah. Do, he made do with for a number of years. God. And then when that wasn't enough, he needed some corpses. But he decided he was going to lobotomize somebody. It's this really young guy that he got back to his flat. He drilled a hole into his head, and the guy escaped. And apparently, no if way. you drill a hole into the brain, it doesn't because there's not much blood blood in the brain. It doesn't create very much blood. So this guy got out of his flat, was running down the street, got to two police officers, or someone called the police, but because he'd had a hole drilled in his head, he couldn't explain to the police officers what was wrong. Yeah. 
And so Jeffrey Dahmer just came along. And I think it's probably <gasps> important, particularly in what you just said, the guy was black and Jeffrey Dahmer was white and sort of nerdy and older and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So he just said, oh, no, this is just my boyfriend and he's had too much to drink. And the police escorted the guy with a hole in his yes! head back to Jeffrey Dahmer's flat where he then was able to kill him. That's fucked um, up. Jeffrey Dahmer was an incredibly... He was the saddest serial killer. Yeah, he was rubbish. He was just, No, no, he wasn't. Well, he was very good at doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he was... He, I don't mean... I mean, I feel really sorry for him, to be honest. I mean, he was just a really damaged person who was desperate for some love that he never got from his parents. He did some horrible things, of course. And, mm. You know, I'm not kind of... <laughs> not condoning it condoning in any way. It, no. <laughs> but... Uh, he was a really sad, sad person who got beaten to death in jail later on. So if anybody Did didn't like him, then you can take pleasure in that. Oh, gosh. it's pretty horrendous. <laughs> well, let's move on to some better and more exciting news stories. My favourite news story of all time. Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens, gets caught masturbating in an adult cinema Poor and gets arrested Pee-wee. for it. I know! And I'm like, what the fuck? Pee Wee Herman is the best human being in the world. And everyone decided he was a dirty pervert after this for just going to a cinema where everyone wanks and being one of the wankies himself. He did go to a triple bill. The boy. Wow. Catalina 5-0 Tiger Shark. That doesn't really even sound like a porno to me. Nurse Nancy. Fair enough. And turn up the heat. Oh, (laughs) triple bill. I mean, I can barely stay awake through three films. These people were just, I guess, masturbating through all of them. Well, his, this has amazed me, actually. Okay. So he was charged on two counts. One was for masturbating at 8.25pm, and then again at 8.35pm. So he must have filled up quick. That's And Nurse crazy. Nancy must have been incredible. Also, also, what did they do the first time? Stopped doing that and then left him where he was sat? Well, no, apparently. So I don't know if this was the thing that... Did he run back in? No, police used to go and sit in these theatres and just watch people. And when they started wanking, they'd make a note of it. And then at the end of the film, they'd just round them all up and take them in. And so this time I saw you wanking. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. He almost Good got boy. done for... Like, there's loads of things about this that I didn't know. He almost got done for bribery. Not because he actually really tried to bribe anyone, but he did say to the police officers that he'd be more than happy to do uh, like charity performance for them to make some money <laughs> for the police station. And they said he wasn't quite obvious enough that we could have done him for bribery, but, I mean, that was definitely what he was suggesting. Oh, poor little fucking Pee-wee. Pee-wee's the best. Pee-wee is the best. He All he did was do a little wank, and everyone thought he was a pervert, and he didn't get any acting jobs for ages. I wonder what people expected anybody... I mean, there's no real porn theatres around nowadays, no. I suppose. But, you know, in this time, before the internet, before even VHS... Yeah. Although I think Pee Wee Herman could have probably had a few VHSs and he probably could have done this at home. Yeah. Anyway. You know, what did people think people were doing when they went to porno theatres? Exactly. And watched hardcore pornography on the big screen? <laughs> like, people, what... I, I know in Taxi Driver, um, Robert De Niro tries to take someone on a date to one. <laughs> and it doesn't go very well, but he's specifically supposed to be a confused man that doesn't understand anything. Exactly. Poor Pee-wee. Poor Pee-wee. He's the best human being and no wanking in a cinema will ever make me think differently. They do make it... I found an article about this which tells the whole story and it's quite interesting, but they do make one good point that I had never thought of. Okay. Is that his mugshot, he looks exactly like Bob from Twin Peaks. Oh, stop it. (laughs) I know that one. He's like kind of like gaunt and like looking at the top of his head a bit. Yeah. But also, oh. uh, the other interesting thing is that this knocked... So we were talking about how Russia, like the Moscow summit, and how Russia... Dissolved. It wasn't on the front pages, because Pee Wee Herman was <gasps> all over the front pages. I know! <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how I feel about that. 
One real big issue that I didn't know about this either is that Bill Cosby <gasps> came to his aid. Oh, dear. He said, whatever Rubens has done, this is being blown all out of proportion. That's fine at if. this time in yeah. history. <laughs> Unfortunately, Bill Cosby, not, not so great. But so he got, he got the worst person, one of the worst people around, yeah. jumped to his aid. But also one of the best people around jumped to his <gasps> aid. Cindy Lauper. Yeah. She blasted the charges of victimless occurrence. Oh, go on, Fuck yeah. Another legend, a certain man named Marshall Ledbetter, who blockaded himself into the Florida State Capitol building and demanded that he wouldn't leave unless he got a large Gumby's pizza, some (laughs) weed, 666 donuts, $100 worth of Chinese food and a phone call with Ice Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What? This is another story that... I've never heard of this. So it's quite a famous story of someone just doing something weird. But again, when I looked into this, it just got better and better. Because Marshall Ledbetter was a sub-genius. And he did this as a kind of like part political statement. I'm not exactly sure what his politics were. (laughs) His politics sound like just donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did get immediately taken to a mental health institution following on from this. Um, And there was a big police standoff. But also the other person that jumped to his aid... Fucking Jello Biafra. Oh, good boy. He penned a, uh, a song called The Ballad of Marshall Ledbetter for his band Lard. I know oh. the song. I had no idea it was about this guy. It came out in 2000. He said he was someone who had had enough of the injustice in our world and chose to do something about it in very colourful fashion. I've been a long-time fan of creative crime. The best part about this one is it made a statement, it was a work of art, and not a single person got hurt. Yeah. Thanks, Jello. And he had so much dinner. That's, he had, I'm well, so no, impressed. unfortunately, he didn't get any of the things. He didn't get just, any of it? He didn't get a thing. No. Oh. He certainly didn't get to talk to Ice Cube. <laughs> I wonder what Ice Cube thought of this. <laughs> unfortunately, Marshall Ledbetter died in 2003. His Wikipedia oh. page describes him as a psychedelics enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> I have one little fact. The little plastic ball and cans of Guinness beer won the Queen's Award for Technological Advancement. Beating the internet and email. I love that. <laughs> the little, like, that little ball. I Better than the internet and email. Well, but the internet and email would have been so new. And I think this was definitely at the time where everyone was like, oh, it's just a fad. That's not going to happen. I know, but I, I like that. That's a, that's a world I can get behind where technology is praising a ball of a plastic ball in a Guinness can over the internet and email that makes your beer better doesn't it there you go what do you want to talk to someone in Australia on the email for when you can make your beer slightly better exactly I don't even know what it does if I'm honest I think it's supposed to make it it was advertised as making it the same as buying it from the pub so I think the idea is it livens it up a little bit or something but isn't a Guinness like Flat? Yeah. Am, I, am, I, am I stupid? I don't I've really understand. No idea. If anybody knows, shamsitroses at gmail.com. <laughs> a high-profile court case forced the British government to clearly define the difference between a cake and a biscuit. <gasps> I know this. I know you do. I'm surprised you haven't brought it up already. Oh my In the God. end, the government published an official ruling that yeah. a cake is defined by its propensity to harden over time. Yes. Whereas a biscuit has the propensity to soften. Do you know what caused this? No. It's a tax on Jaffa cakes. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) Jaffa cakes were being subject to a a biscuit tax. There was a biscuit tax. But Jaffa cakes were like, we don't want to pay that tax because we're not a biscuit, we're a cake. And so, yeah, the way that they proved it was they let a Jaffa cake out of its packet and if it was a biscuit it would go soft but if it was a cake it would go hard and jaffa cakes go hard when they're left out so they proved it was a cake and didn't have to pay the tax well they got one over the man then there you go i love it 
So I think we're probably going to have to stop with news. Let's move on to culture. Oh, yeah. Um, some wonderful things were around in 1991. Are you going to throw out a few TV shows? Go for it. Siobhan, if you'd like to just give very brief reactions right. to them all. Yes. Rugrats. Oh, so good. Matt Mullsberg did the same tune, and I loved Rugrats as a kid. Brilliant. Doug. I'd never watched Doug, but it's Nickelodeon still, isn't yes. it? Yes. We watched a documentary about Nickelodeon recently, and it was more or less all happening around this time. Yeah. It wasn't specifically 91. But all of those great Nickelodeon shows, those original ones, they were all like coming out around about this time. Little Monsters, yeah. and uh, I think even some of the live-action ones, like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and was stuff. It? Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Nickelodeon was really interesting, because it was a completely independent studio, that managed to kind of get a few hours, I think, on, on yeah. like late night TV, and then it slowly but surely built an audience over time, and then obviously now has become. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's bought by Disney probably now. So yeah, massive, I think it might be actually. Thing. But it was a really interesting story. I'd recommend that documentary. It's so good, so good. Um, I think also Nickelodeon was Ren and Stimpy. Yes. Oh joy! Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> Ren and Stimpy is the greatest cartoon ever made, bar none. I can't none, <laughs> absolutely none. Ooh. Nothing's but there's almost nothing in the world better. It's than just it's just pure ridiculousness. Yet sometimes I want to cry. Yet it's so funny, and it's just beautiful. It's such a beautiful thing. It's so subversive yes. and so fucking weird and mental to look at, to and physically look at. The fact that I mean, it was it was shown on MTV a lot, and it, uh, definitely the audience was more like teenage stoners. But yeah. it was pretty much made for kids, <laughs> and to watch it now, it's fucking insane but do you know what it pre it preludes all of that fucking cow and chicken and all of the stuff that Cartoon Network went on to do which again was quite weird but was for kids yeah but that t- definitely but I love cow just, and chicken but this wrong, is to but the end yeah that's the thing it's like those things were almost like corporatised watered down yeah. versions of Ren and Stimpy I suppose true and I think true. that's what kind of happened with almost all culture around about this time 1991 just sort of released all of this crazy awesome <laughs> stuff and then over the course of the next 10 years slowly but surely it watered down. down until the fear after yeah, Nirvana, the world Nirvana ended. eventually became Puddle of Mud I mean it just, <laughs> that's just what happened like uh, the Britas Empire you've never seen this, this have you no. the Britas Empire was a really shit but kind of cool uh, incredibly English comedy programme starring Chris Barry, who was Rimmer from Red Dwarf. Okay. And it was about a sports centre, a leisure centre, and the hilarious goings-on behind the scenes. Oh, gosh, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, it's probably not going to uh, hold up well in 2022. <laughs> uh, Seinfeld wasn't new, but it was kind of one of its peak years. Oh, okay, yeah. this year. We just on. watched the entirety of Seinfeld. Well, not just. Like, <laughs> over the last week. We've fairly recently watched the entirety of Seinfeld. So brilliant. If you've not watched it, go do it. It's a good use of your life. And the greatest TV programme of all time was made. Oh. Yes, two. So there's two from 91. Oh. Brandon Stimpy. Yeah. And Eerie Indiana. Oh, okay. Uh, If you've never seen Eerie Indiana, there's only one series of it. It was made in 1991. Dave's got a region one if you want it. (laughs) (laughs) It is a kids TV show. About weirdness. And I think when you're talking about things that influence my life in really <laughs> harrowing, un, unimaginable ways, this was probably one of them. Because as a, it used to be on every summer holiday in yeah. the mornings. Okay. And I think anyone my age would know we were in Indiana, but then it must be like 
it must stop at some point and then no one will have a fucking clue what this thing is. Yeah. It's basically about two kids, one of whom's just moved to the town of Erie, Indiana, and everything in Erie, Indiana is really weird. Real weird. And there's big feetsmen walking around. Elvis is on his paper route. Yeah. Um, there's just loads of loads and loads of weird shit. And every episode, it's kind of something else. One of them gets sucked into a TV. We watched one last night about how he set his clock forward when he shouldn't have set his clock forward, so he ended up in the Lost Hour. In a different dimension. No one can find him anywhere. And where is he? He's actually in the milk carton. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's all weird shit. But uh, everything about this programme is super cool if you're an 11-year-old. Yeah, it's definitely well good. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's pre all of the things that came out when I was a kid. Like, I could see, especially in that episode, uh, inklings of, like, goosebumps sort of yeah, stuff. Totally. And uh, there was one called oh, The Queen's the Nose dog. and things, lots of times. Queen's Nose is Dick King Smith. I know, but all, but all of this stuff when it got made for TV, all that kind of, like, kids go on weird adventures and... yeah. Yeah, they did it. remake Erie Indiana. Be very careful. If anyone listens to my recommendation, don't just <laughs> go straight at Erie Indiana because I think there's one original series which is made in 91. Yeah. And then I think somewhere around about the later 90s, they made a really shit. The, the period of the culture that you, you doth not speak about. No, 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 before that. Oh, okay. But they just made a really shit. I think what they did was they took it and then they really made it. They made the Puddle of Mud version oh. <laughs> of, of Air Indiana <laughs> and called it Air Indiana. And it just wasn't, it wasn't anywhere wasn't near as good. It wasn't the worst thing in the world for a kids' program, but it was really a kids' program. Yeah. Whereas this one kind of works a little bit. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's fucking wonderful. To be honest, I've watched only a bit of it and it is, it is quite a glorious thing. So again, region one, if you want it, we've got it. I'm not lending it to anyone. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> there was a show that started in 1990, but it got really fucking good in 1991. Twin Peaks, the second season. Yeah. Basically the best thing to have ever graced TV, ever. Unfortunately, uh, the second the season does... Apart the last three does, or four episodes. Yeah, well, no, the last three or four episodes are great. It's the middle. It's the middle. Yeah, that's true. That's the problem. But the really, really good ones are in 1991, uh, so they're brilliant. And then British TV got pretty fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> with the British Empire. <laughs> no, but three <laughs> three programmes debuted this year. Okay. Um, I wonder if you remember them. Noel's House Party oh, fuck it comes Noel. to the TV for the first Mr. time. Mr Blobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fucking, that used to give me the absolute creeps. Noel's House it. Party was literally a children's television programme, but that was made for adults. Everything about it was a children's TV programme. Yeah. There was Gunge, there was that big fucking... Blobby. Blobby man in yeah. a suit. Who he spoke to like it was a normal thing. Yeah. And then he went... <laughs> like, it was, I mean... I don't want to, you know, I don't know. I think it might have been the first step in kind of the babification of of adult (laughs) humours. Yeah. I wonder what Devo think about Mr. Blobby, because I reckon that's the shit they predicted. He's not on their radar. I hope so. (laughs) Mark Mothersburg, what do you think of this pink and yellow bastard? Sham City Rose of the (laughs) Gmail. Another one, Michael Barrymore's show comes to TV for the first time. What? What's that? Is that just called Barrymore? It's called Barrymore. <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is it? I think it's a, it was a, just a talk show that he did. Well, it wasn't even a talk show. I think he did a bit of funny. I think he did a bit of singing. I think he did a bit of everything on it. Oh, he was such a, um, he was a proper like light entertainer. He? he really was. It's and, just, then it, and then he killed a man in his, in his swimming, swimming pool. pool. <laughs> but very much uh, my childhood, I remember watching Michael Barrymore on TV all the time mm. as a kid. Noel's House Party and Barrymore. Noel's House Party was on at ten past six on a Saturday night. <laughs> I know that for almost a hundred percent sure that I'm correct. In I remember I used to hide when the gungeon happened. It used to really freak me out. Oh, I don't know why. 
sad. I know. It's the only bit. It's the only good bit. Uh, last but not least, there was a kids program called Finders Keepers with Neil Buchanan. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> TV for kids was well good. It was like a big set where the front was missing, and you went running into different rooms and you had to find stuff. And they ah, just basically tipped the rooms like upside down. Fun House meets Crystal Maze. Yeah, exactly that. But with Neil Buchanan, it's fucking brilliant. Some good books came out just very briefly. American Psycho. By Brett Easton Ellis. Wonderful book. Uh, interesting tidbit about that is that Christian Bale's stepmother, Gloria Steinman, who was a feminist, protested the 1991 publication of the novel, American oh. Psycho, due to its portrayal of violence towards women. And then in 2000, of course, Christian Bale was <laughs> the person who was providing <laughs> said violence. So Very famously so. Jeez. This book called Sophie's World, which I'm probably going to say this wrong, is by someone called Justine Gardner. No, I think that's probably about no, right. That sounds right. Sophie's World is a wonderful book. It is more or less a philosophy textbook mixed in with a really lovely story. Aww. And uh, I would very much recommend it to anybody. And Generation X by Douglas Copeland, which I have only just very recently read and I didn't like very much. Okay, I haven't but, read it uh, yet. It, but... is, it is considered a classic book. And I feel like this is absolutely the pinnacle of Generation X as a generation. Okay. As far as like the culture that was coming out. They right. were just all old enough that they were kind of taking charge. In the same way that millennials probably came of age about two or three years ago. That was when everyone was really worried because all the millennials were taken over. <laughs> what do you have to be to be a millennial? I get very confused with all of this. Uh, millennials were born between 1980 and... 2002. Oh shit, am I a millennial then? Yes. Oh, okay. We both are officially, although I Uh, I know I am, but I I am on the cusp. So I am officially an an ex-ennial. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Generation X is very synonymous with more or less all of the culture that was being made in 1991. Mm. Grunge is kind of the ultimate, probably. So that's about it for cultural affairs. So now, just before we move on to the next subject, we're going to play a quick game of your favourite, shove them back in or let them live. And uh, if you've listened to these episodes before, you'll know that what we do is we find people that were born in 1991 and we decide whether we would, as the title might suggest, shove them back into their mothers <laughs> or, or allow them to live. Um, they're a fucking slim pickings in 1991. They can't be. I'll tell you what, no, that's what I thought. So I presume... To 30, it'll be like 31-year-olds. Yes. So there should be tons of them. It turns out that 31-year-olds are all fucking boring. When we did 2003, yeah. we, I, I ended up picking dead people <laughs> because I was so desperate because they all ended up being YouTubers. Turns out, 1991, all the 31-year-olds, they're all fucking TikTok stars really? and YouTube stars. Shitty. Somebody called Moneybag Yo. Somebody called Disguised Toast. <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry, someone's called Disguised Toast. Disguised Toast. It's literally a man with a bit of toast on his head on YouTube. Oh, the, f- <laughs> the world's gone mad. Oh my god. Anyway, so really slim pickings. Okay. So you might not know who all of these people are, but I might know them more than you. I think. Eh, maybe. Time bot five hundred. You are going to randomly pick somebody <laughs> who was born in nineteen ninety one. <laughs> that Alex was, no that was Alexa Bliss oh Alexa Bliss <laughs> Alexa Bliss is a wrestler WWE from wrestler. WWE well she might I think she still is I don't know I think she is yeah uh, 
would you like to shove Alexa Bliss back into her mother or would you like to allow her to live and do the things that she has done on this earth? 100% live and do the things you've done on this earth. <laughs> I think she's a really good wrestler and she's one of the good like female representatives in WWE. She's actually quite good yeah. at doing the whole shtick I'm... and she's very fucking good at wrestling. Yeah, I, like I don't know. No? I don't know. I'd let her live. She's not a terrible person and I don't know enough Really, because we don't watch WWE very much. I'm basing this on when we did watch it. I don't, yeah, know, done recently. I don't know. I think that as far as like from the perspective of wrestling and the way that women's wrestling changed over the last, say, 10 years. Yeah. I would say that if anything, role model wise for children, she's one of the worst of the bunch. In as much as so WWE particularly went from ladies that were chosen purely for their big boobs and blonde yeah. hair and whatever, and then to actual athletes. Yeah. And I feel like, if anything, Alexa Bliss feels more like an old style no. WWE wrestler. She's a lot better at wrestling than they are, I, I'll give you. And I think it's maybe it's a bit unfair because you're comparing her to people that are genuinely changing the face of wrestling. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I think she is very athletic, very good at wrestling, and she's really good at doing like a storyline where she's she hasn't once relied on how she like. There's some people that come out and do like a weird little dance and shake their boobs about, and she's never she literally does no, no, both doesn't. of those exact things when she walks out. No, she, she really did. doesn't. She, she did. used to come out and berate people and like hold the mic and say a lot of stuff. She kind of actively didn't really, as far as I'm... She probably still dressed a certain way, as they all do, no, and no, even the good ones that, do. Though. But no, she used... I, I thought that she was one of the few that came out, had storylines, was good on the microphone, um, acted, whereas a lot of the others didn't. So I, I would say that she's kind of not Yeah, no, I, I, I think we'd almost say the same thing, but just looking at it in a different way. You're right. She's she's a better actress than a lot of. But the point is, is that wrestling changed. Female wrestling changed to be like these people are athletes. Yeah. She's less of an athlete and more of an actress. Oh, well, which in the same fun. way that like yeah, I don't know. It's fine, but it was at a time when there was a push for female wrestlers yeah. to be athletic, and it almost you almost needed a whole group of people that were specifically just that. Yeah. To, to undo all of the... It's not her fault. Yeah. To undo all of the horrible shit that had no, been going course. on for the last well, 30 years. Well, I think she is extraordinarily athletic. She can do all the flips, all the jumps, and she was very good. Anyway, I'm watching well, I mean, so follow, I mean, follow, I think following on from when we watched her, she... Uh, she started playing a sexy goth girl that didn't say anything. Yeah, so, well, that was I mean, the Bray Wyatt weirdness, like, wasn't it? You know, she played second fiddle to a man and didn't say anything. Yeah. And literally was just there as a bit of sexy appeal. Well, that's how much we do or don't know about Alexa Bliss. Moving on. Dick slot. <laughs> Dick slot? You're not doing very well, Time What Lott. the fuck was that? This is somebody called Pixie Lot. Oh, I know who Pixie Lot is. Definitely 100% stick it back in. Rubbish. <laughs> Literally brought nothing to music or any culture. I, the only reason I've allowed... I mean, obviously this is random. The only reason that I've allowed her to go into Timebot systems yeah. is because I have no fucking idea who Pixie Oh, do you is. not? But I did notice on her little bio that's next to this fucking website that I had to go through 770 different people, all of whom were completely rubbish. It was like Canadian footballers <laughs> and stuff. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, not rubbish, but just people I didn't know. Um, she was from Bromley. She's from Bromley. Is she from Bromley? That's the only thing I know about her because it said it next to her name. She looks like she likes the uh, shopping centre. Oh. 
So what explain <laughs> Pixie Love to me. You tell me whether I should shove her back in or let her live. You should shove her back in because she was a singer that came out in 2010s. She wasn't a very good singer and wasn't a very good whatever, but she just turned up on the telly a lot in the same way that she would be introducing things like Davina McCoolwood or stuff okay. like that. She just turned so up everywhere. So she was everywhere. like Barrymore for the she, late 2000s. She was well, like a light entertainer. Well, she wasn't really even a light entertainer. She just appeared. She just was on like TV Barrymore. all the time. <laughs> but she was never really doing anything. Right. So there's nothing notable. And to the point where she's not around doing anything now. She just kind of came... Was something for well, a maybe bit. Maybe she's like, shopping in Topshop on Bromley High Street. Oh, I doubt it. Topshop's even there. I believe it's all closed down. <laughs> but she's very that. She would have had a clothing line. She'd have been best friends with some of the older S Club juniors. And that would oh, probably have been a bit of a lot. Shall back in? Yeah. <laughs> Azalea Banks. Azalea Banks. Well, you did that much better than I was expecting you to. That's a really difficult thing. Because <laughs> you know. can say Pixie Lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pixie But Azalea Banks. <laughs> Azalea Banks. Ah. This is problematic. Yeah, I really like her first song. That one song is that really one song is great. good. And then since then, uh, I, I'm not going to pretend to have followed her career closely, but everything else that I'm aware of about her, I'd shove her back in. She's problematic, homophobic, maybe even a bit racist. No, okay. um, she's horrible, but that one song is really fucking good. Doesn't allow it. I'd like her to come out, scream, "I'm a ruin, you can," and then go back in. <laughs> <laughs> And that'd be it. Well, that would be quite appropriate. I mean, her mum might be a bit shocked. <laughs> he missed Newton some of that. Nixon. Lu- <laughs> <laughs> Louis Tomlinson. Louis Tomlinson. See, you're I've heard of dirty him. Big bollocks! Like, I'm going to know more than you. Is he one of? Um, he's not that gay dancer man with the jazz hands. No, that's Louis. <laughs> No, and he's not. First of all, that Louis, I can't remember his surname, was not Spence. born in 1991. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, <laughs> Maybe 1941. Louis Tomlinson. Not... He is. Um, I say this only because I've seen a picture of him, and so I'm presuming because I can't really compare him to the rest. But when it comes to boy bands, there's normally one that looks a little bit simple. Oh, he's the thick one he's with the, the guitar. He's the one in One Direction. Yeah. He looks a little bit like he's just been picked up from a building site. Oh! Oh, I don't know which one this is. There's a one handsome that... building site, don't get me wrong. A very sexy building site. <laughs> Sex... <laughs> one of One Direction. Okay, I don't well... know anything about One Direction. I this mean, is how desperate I am. So they were a band time put, put together by Simon Cowell on um, one of those terrible programmes. So they are English. They're, They're English. English. They all went on as singular people, like, we want to be really good. And Simon Cowell went, you're all shit on your own but I'll make a band out of you. Uh, and then they became a band. So I thought this was Harry Styles' band. It is. Ah, right. Ah, look gotcha. at you, you know stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. So these people wouldn't <laughs> have been famous without. So, but, but didn't do we Harry, need Isn't any Harry Styles really famous now? He's extraordinarily famous so he's now. proved So he's proved that fucking cow wrong, hasn't he? <laughs> that he couldn't be good on his own. Well, I think he needed the band to get him there, maybe. Who knows? But Louis Tomlinson, don't know which one that is. What direction are you going to send him? Back into his mother? Back in! I'm putting him back in, too. <laughs> back in. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> what? I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to get him to say it again. Vanessa. Yeah. Vanjie. Mateo. Yes! I know who that is! 
A hundred percent this person is staying in the world. Okay, can you explain to the people Vanjie, at home who she is? Um, is a drag queen who came out on the RuPaul's Drag Race and in the first year she was on, she was so abysmally shit. But when she left, she just did this weird little backwards walk and was just fucking fabulous. And co- I'm not explaining her well at all. Anyway, she came back the next year and was absolutely amazing. She's so fucking funny. She's so brilliant. 100% live forever. Well, by the time I got to her, I wanted to kill myself because <laughs> I'd gone through so many celebrities. I will say this, just very quickly. I've got a few more. In 1991, so much interesting shit was happening, right? <laughs> but according to this... So when I find these people that were born in these years, there's always just like squares, loads of squares on the screen and yeah. it's just pictures of them all with their names, right? And I've never seen more boring people in my life Every single one of them just looks like the same boring. fucking white toast boredom. <laughs> and they all do boring things. Well, at least I don't know who most of them are. Yeah. And so by the time I got to this fucking Banji, she was two, the 260, because they're in order of how famous they are. Oh, okay. Year, number one. Vanji was 263rd most famous person oh. that was born in, in, uh, in 1991. Literally amongst a bunch of like... You know, like some ice hockey player from, <laughs> from some town, little town in Canada or something. Yeah. But who do you think was number 770th, the least famous person on this list? Oh. Well, he's going to tell you. He's going to be like a scientist or something. Ruby Riot. <laughs> Ruby Riot. Ruby Riot. I tell you what, it was a big year for wrestling. I suppose they're all yeah. about 31. It probably That's makes true. Sense. So Ruby Riot is a female wrestler of who's course. in AEW. And she was the 770th. Oh, that's real and I, shame. It was really harsh because some of the people above her, I swear, it was literally like this person has posted five pictures on Instagram <laughs> or something. That's <laughs> incredibly sad. I would have thought that Vanjie would be less than Ruby Riot. She's a full... Oh, 500 five, more. Well, not quite 500 more, yeah. Oh. So Ruby Riot going back in or staying out? Oh, staying out. Yeah, I'd let her out, I think. She's not been very good in AEW. She's been pretty though. shit recently, but, but never um, mind. But Rancid did play live at one of the pay-per-views yeah. when she came out to Rancid, which it which was kind of sad in a lot of ways, but it must have made her life... Well, the very fact that AEW keep getting these musics for their wrestlers and she, she just got hers. She went on a podcast, didn't she, with Lars Fredrickson, and he was like, do you want to use it? I mean, I think he's quite available, to be honest, Lars Fredrickson. <laughs> but yeah, he, yeah, she was on it. He does a wrestling podcast. He really likes wrestling. Oh, really? And he does a wrestling podcast, and he had her on it. And she had just left WWE where she was called Ruby... So, uh... So, to Ruby Riot. Oh, she was called Ruby Riot. Oh, sorry, I've, I should have been Ruby Soho. Ah. Uh, the thing's out of date. She was called Ruby Riot. And then she was thinking about she was going to start wrestling and she had to change her name because WWE owns all of their names. And so she wanted to be called Ruby Soho. And he, just said, I, I, he said, I can, I can just call up a couple of friends and we can probably arrange you a really cool... Uh, yeah, uh, you could totally have the soundtrack for yeah. your entrance music. And then she did. Yeah. And it was pretty fucking cool when she came out to that music, actually. It was Good cool. on her. So yeah, that's all the fucking boring people that were born in 1991. Maybe this is the problem with Generations. When a generation shit. comes through that's like really artistic and really interesting, they're too busy, and they create <laughs> loads of really interesting things. By default, the next lot of fucking boring cunts are just going to be YouTubers. Yeah, it's true. Actually, the creative ones are too busy being creative, and it leaves only the boring ones to procreate. And you just create all these fucking boring people. <laughs> cool, Ned Sheeran and Pixie Lot. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some interesting people. We're going to move on to our next subject. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Are you ready for this? I always like to do a Eurovision question for these things. Oh, I've never, I'm always supposed to be good at them, but I've never kind of got one right yet. I would say 91 was a difficult Eurovision year, <laughs> not going to lie. Um, who did the UK Eurovision entrant and how high did they place? In 1991, I mean, I haven't got a clue. No. So it's total guesswork. I mean, is it anyone... For, is it Buxford? No, Buxford was earlier. Um, no idea. Do you know what? No one no one immediately famous, and to be honest, is still not going to be famous to you. I'm going to say anyway. Samantha Womack with a message to your heart. Oh, that's Bobby Womack's daughter. Is it? I think so. Oh, I didn't yeah, know from that. From Womack and Womack. Oh, I didn't know that. Did I make She's that? famous for a different reason. Oh, okay, I might have I might have said... What I just said then, I said with real conviction, <laughs> but I might be completely wrong. Go ahead. Why is she famous? Um, well, it came 10th, Okay. so that's pretty that's good. good. That's good. She's Ronnie from EastEnders. Do you ever watch EastEnders? No, I've never seen EastEnders. Ronnie was a very, life. very long-standing character in the years that I watched EastEnders as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she was Phil Mitchell's wife. Um, <laughs> doesn't mean anything to me. There either. you go. Uh, who won that year? Um, if you had guess. Netherlands. Sweden. Sweden won. Yeah, Sweden are the best. Sweden so. won. Don't know what with. Even uh, quite back a, then. Quite a terrible song, but still, <laughs> they won. Uh, Nevermind came out, obviously, the yes. extraordinarily famous Nirvana album. What was the original star rating given to them by Rolling Stone magazine? Oh, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm presuming by the fact that you're asking me this question, it wasn't very good. So I'm going to say three out of five. They gave it three out of five. But now they rate it a five and it's the 17th best ever album of all time. Fucking Rolling Stone. But back Stone. then, they were like, what is Desperately this shit? trying to claw back exactly. their credibility. This isn't going to go shit. far. You wait, that internet's shit as well. <laughs> uh, I like these balls in cans. <laughs> song is banned by the BBC due to lyrics about racism and bullying in the army and it was on the day the Gulf War began. Bloody hell. Okay. I feel like I should know this. You'll be happy with it. Um, huh. Racism in the army. Uh, wonder stuff. No, it is Carter, the unstoppable ah, sex machine with blood sport for all. Yes, that's a fucking great song. Is too. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Another similarly thing, another band had to shorten their name um, because of the Gulf War. This was a golf war. Yeah. For the radio, it was a bit, uh, you know, people didn't want to say their full name. It's a bit stupid, really. Did they have, did they have Saddam in it? I don't know. No. I don't know. I've absolutely no idea. Massive Attack. Their song Unfinished Sympathy came out, but no one was allowed to say Attack because it was a bit too... What the Yeah, fuck? I know. So that got shortened. So they were just called Massive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the few months where that was still going on. Uh, they, uh, That's an unfinished that. name. Hey. Oh, God. Um, Oasis played their first ever gig. Mm-hmm. Noel was the roadie at the time for a different band. Do you know who? Oh, shit, I do. It's, uh, is it My Bloody Valentine? No. It's someone like that, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's fucking... Uh, I'm going to kick myself. Go on, I don't know. It's Spiral Carpets. It's Spiral Fucking Carpets. It's Spiral Fucking Carpets. Of course it is. Um, Vanilla Rice. Yeah. <laughs> is around quite a bit this we'll year. We'll talk about him later. He's in a few films, but, you <laughs> know... He's in a film. <laughs> He's in two films. He's not actually in the two. Oh, he's true. Um, but so I've got some. I've got a couple of questions about Vanilla Rice. Your favourite man. Your favourite man. I'll do my best. Uh, this is a true or false question. Mm-hmm. As a born again Christian, Vanilla Rice has refrained from legal issues since the early nineties. True or false? Well, he's a juggalo. So, but I suppose you could be a Christian. I'm pretty sure he's had some. He's been in trouble with the law. I'm going to say false. False. He is no stranger to dealing with issues on the law. <laughs> in '88, he was uh, arrested for illegal drag racing. '91 for a firearms charge. Uh, promised to clean up his act after some personal issues in '94. Oh. 
But since then, he has assaulted people, he's driving without a license, and Grand Theft Auto in 2015. Yeah, he's had a Good very boy. funny little life. But he is a fish, like, he considers himself a juggler. Yeah, he's juggling. He's, he's jugglistic. Properly, he is jugglistic. He's jugglistic. Uh, one more about him, for the sake of it. In 2008, he released an album called Vanilla Ice is Back. <laughs> uh, what's unique about this album? Um, it never came out. No? No. It's, um, not, it's not that unique, but I do definitely want to hear it. Uh, it's a heavy metal album. It's an album of cover songs. Oh. He's covered Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier. Oh. He's done House of Pain, Jump Around. Oh. He's done Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. Oh. He's done Cypress Hill, Insane in the Brain. Oh. He's done four different mixes of Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> um, it's a, it's, in reality, this is for the true fans. Only Vanilla Ice could cover himself four, <laughs> four times on one album. And a reviewer wrote that the album was an embarrassing endeavour and was very uninspired. <laughs> There you go, Vanilla Rice. That sounds like his entire career. What's his name? Robert Van Winkle. Yeah, I think Good so. Good boy. <laughs> so as we always do, we're going to start with the top 20 selling singles, and then we're going to just move on to whatever music we can talk about. We're going to have just to do these very up. quickly, because with this podcast could be six hours long. Yeah, apologies <laughs> for this in advance. <laughs> so uh, we'll do the top 20, but I would just like to give a little shout out to number 21, which is Wind of Change by the Scorpions. Yeah. A lovely ballad by the German cock rockers who had a fetish for underage girls on the front of their covers <gasps> with their boobs out. Oh, they had some terrible <laughs> album covers. It did. It was a different time. Um, Don't make it all right. <laughs> uh, but Wind of Change is a beautiful song. It's pretty good. It's um, pretty good. I would say that that is a, an early song for me as far as... You know, obviously, Wind of Change is not in any way a heavy metal song, but it's like seeing some dodgy looking metalers on top of the pops with their Wind of Change song. Yeah. Very serious, very seriously about the Berlin Wall coming down. Is that what it's about? Is it actually? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. I don't know if it actually is about that or whether they've just written a song about something else and they've kind of made a video a bit about that. Came out at the same time, they're like, shit. Yeah. I think we figured this out. But it was very effective. So, number 20. We're going to really run through these. Yeah. James, sit down. Wonderful song. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, James released this song and uh, their first album and then they vanished for ages and then they came back later with the sort of Britpop wave. Seemed like they were old men. Like now, in hindsight... That wasn't a very long period of time. It's not a long period at but all. But it seemed like Sit Down was like this... This To and me, at the time, anyway, Sit Down was like this really old song. Yeah. And then James have come back as old. Like, it's a bit like the Charlottes. Where do they get off coming back here in Britpop? And they were actually probably like 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash at number 19? Uh, that was re-released because it was in a Levi's commercial. There you go. Uh, probably The Clash's worst moment, but um, <laughs> absolutely fine. Got to number one. Yeah. Uh, Zoe, Sunshine on a Rainy Day. Sunshine on a Rainy Day. It is a glorious song. It is pretty good. Sums up, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think that there's an interesting thing with dance music here that you can clearly hear. Dance pop, I should say. You can clearly hear that these songs are like 90s songs, which is yeah. weird considering it's literally only just about the the 90s yeah but there is a right. massive difference between just the maybe production more than anything else but the sound yeah. of an 80s dance pop song and the sound of a 90s dance it's pop so song. true you're completely right because um i don't think seals in the top 20 i don't know but seal kind of gets big at this time and yeah. all of that kind of stuff 
Sounds like really obviously nineties. Yeah. What's that like that Adamski song and all that kind well, that of stuff? That was seal, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that kind of stuff that's just so clearly nineties, but we've only just tipped into the nineties. You're so right. When you tell me that you love me by Diana Ross. Uh, it's Total a bullshit. Sad ba- ballad. No, no interest there. But Diana Ross is wonderful. Apparently, she, she was is. dreadful at Glastonbury over the weekend. Oh, whatever, didn't but... she drive very hard in the rain, or was that a couple of years ago? No, that was ages ago. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number 16 More Than Words by Extreme this is another song that I definitely heard at the time and thought was a beautiful beautiful song and uh, I think again it's just sort of like some rockers obviously not a rock song in any way Yeah, I would say out of all of these ballads even like Every Rose Has Its Thorn and stuff this is the one that really has aged the worst oh it's just disgusting (laughs) I hate it and the video where they're like glaring into each other's eyes oh well Gary Sharon is a very ugly man is he called Gary Sharon yeah I can see him in my head. It's horrible. <laughs> Pat Badger. Hold off. I think oh, sorry, Pat Badger. Pat Badger was the bass player. <laughs> Nuno Betancourt That's a fuck. on the guitar. And I can't remember the drummer's name, but he had a stupid name as well. They all sound stupid and that song is <laughs> Pat stupid. Pat Badger looked like a badger. Pat Badger. <laughs> Speaking of strange Badgers. men. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on me, George Michael and Elton John. I fucking love this song. Don't care yeah. what anyone says. I actually really do think that's a banger. <laughs> I mean, it is a good song. But... Banging. And George Michael coming out. Have you seen the video no, where they bring the him video. out? I've seen Of course I've seen You're the like, video. You're like, it's fucking George Michael. Yeah. Brilliant. Love no, it. he doesn't say it's fucking George Michael. He says, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Elton John. No, hang on a second. It's the oh, other yeah, way around. Oh, yeah, it's the other way around. God damn it. <laughs> Your version of this video is fucking George Michael. Incorrect. <laughs> better version. Your reality is different way from ours. Way better. And look who's still here. Out of them two, if you could have one of them alive, I appreciate <laughs> oh. that we don't have a choice in uh, the matter. Are we shoving them back in? If you could, if you could, if you could reverse what's happened in the world and have Elton John crash into a. Um, oh no, that's not how we died, is it? How, <laughs> how did George Michael die? I think it was cancer, wasn't it? Oh, that's horrible. If you could have Elton John die of cancer and George Michael survive. <laughs> yes, I would have that. 100% yeah, George definitely. Michael all the way. I Screw Elton John. Yeah. Sorry. Um, salt and Pepper, let's talk about sex. Bang job. Fucking banger, everyone knows that's a fucking banger. Whoop. Black and White, Michael Jackson. It's yeah. weird to me that by 91, Michael Jackson had already gone off the cliff. Like, Black and White's quite a cool song. It's fine. And yeah. it's obviously like superficially got a very good message and probably a required message at the time. Yeah. But, you know, this is Michael Jackson's era has gone, isn't it? He's notably, like, at this point. fading into a into a bad place at yeah, this point. Yeah. But I tell you who isn't oh. at the top of their game and featured a lot in this chart. Yeah. But this is the only one that's in the top 20. The KLF with 3AM Eternal. Ancients of Moon. We've talked about so the KLF good. a lot on this, web, on this website. We've talked about <laughs> the KLF a lot on this podcast. Oh. And I think we will at some point do an episode all about them. I think we should. I think we should. Uh, they're in the top 43 times. They are. It's fucking brilliant. They're the only ones to do so. It wasn't this year that he fired a gun at the Brit Awards, but we've Was told that story year? before. But if you haven't and you want to see the video, you must it's go them on YouTube. extreme noise terror, isn't it, it at is. the Brits? It's one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. So good. What a ledge. Number 11, get ready for this, turn limit. Are you ready for this? It is that, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then at some point, one of them goes, fucking too unlimited. (laughs) There you go. Um, Okay, I'm going to possibly blow your mind with this one. Uh, I owned this album on cassette. Uh, colour me bad I want to sex you up why did you own this <laughs> I don't really know but it was I loved this song uh, which is very inappropriate <laughs> I was an 11 year old boy and my parents allowed me to have my favourite song be I want to sex you up 
and I bought the album and the only thing I had it on cassette and the only thing that I can clearly remember is that inside the cassette there was like a little profile of all four members of Colour Me Bad and um, it was just like their name and where they were from and this sort of thing and then it was something like likes and dislikes and all of their likes were like the tackiest shit it was things like likes love poetry (laughs) kissing a girl after 2am you know it was so disgusting and then their dislikes were literally like Jaffa Cakes (laughs) (laughs) I think I Want to Sex You Up is a banger I don't know what's ever happened to Colour Me Bad I'm guessing that they're probably on the grind circuit (laughs) now just in one of those big package they're probably playing the crypt sometimes too they probably are and if they are I'll be there in the front row Screaming, I want to sex you up. I didn't bring any Jaffa cakes, don't worry. <laughs> Talk to me after I also two. like poetry after 2am. I like kissing girls. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, number nine is Insanity by Oceanic. This is the only Oceanic? song, this is know, the only song in the top 20 that neither of us knew. Yeah. And we listened to it and it's not very good. Yeah, terrible rave song. <laughs> Rubbish. I'll tell you what is fucking good. Yeah. Vic Reeves and the Wonder Stuff with their cover of Dizzy. I don't know. <laughs> I was surprised to find this was as early as 91. I'm surprised to find it as high up as that. No, well, it was a big number one smash hit. Was it? Yeah. I mean, I do know it, but... But it must have just been a random thing that they did. I don't really know. So, um, Never Loved Elvis, the Wonder Stuff album, which has like Size of a Cow and is a fucking classic... That came out in 1991 as well, and Dizzy wasn't on it. Mm. I don't know how this worked as far as the months of the year go, but this must have just been some random thing that yeah. they did with Vic Reeves. kind of like Vic Reeves. I think he's... I've met him. He lives near Hastings, and I think he's a bit of an awkward man in real life. But, you know, he's kind of... I don't know. Reeves and Mortimer were, was a really That's... special comedy duo. Yeah, I, I think Bob Mortimer is an absolute legend for the rest of time and yeah. so if he, if he vouches for Vic Reeves <laughs> then I think everyone can enjoy him. Because I feel like there was some problematic stuff, but I might be making this up but I feel like some problematic stuff might have come out well, I think the thing is point. with Vic Reeves is that he was around that time, he was kind of big in the 90s, he was probably in with all of the Britpop lot, he did mm. a lot of coke I'm sure, he parted a lot, he probably yeah. had a lot of sex with people and probably didn't carry himself in a particularly appropriate way in the Probably eyes of 2022 not. yeah but if he's still friends with bob mortimer bob mortimer is making lovely videos online if anyone wants to go and follow him online he just makes videos to himself on the train being an absolute twat and i love him he must be what like 50 something and just talking to his phone being mental on his own on just random journeys wherever he goes well i'll tell you who he doesn't vouch for mm-hmm Number seven. Number seven is The One and Only by Chesney Hawks. <laughs> da, da, da. Is it the one that... Like, does he have a big mole on his I face? Think, yeah, he had a mole on his face, but didn't you just start singing Too Unlimited again? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Too Unlimited! <laughs> da, 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 da. No, that's even wrong. Uh, Chesney Hawks is playing on Hastings Pier and, uh, next he? month, I think. Yeah. What? He's on one of those bills that's every everybody from the 90s. I'm pretty sure... He's really low down on the bill, but he's the only one I really sort of remember. Oh, I'm going to be looking to this be up honest. the second we finish this. I want to know. Uh, one and only is a fucking banger, no, Bang no question. I tell you what isn't though, Jason Donovan with Any Dream Will Do. Terrible. That is from the fucking Technicolor Dream Code yeah. bullshit. Very bad, very bad. We need to move straight on from that. Number five is Do the Batman by The Simpsons. I fucking loved The Simpsons so was good. this kind of magical thing because we never had satellite telly when I was this age. Yeah. And so The Simpsons was like something that you saw toys of in the shop. And when this came out, like you saw the music video for yeah. it, but I had never seen an episode of The Simpsons yeah, and probably wouldn't watch an episode of The Simpsons for another couple of years. And I fucking loved, it just looked like the coolest thing 
out of context and without any sort of understanding of what it was or what it could possibly yeah. be. It just seemed like the most awesome thing. And I had the album. They did a, a Simpsons did album a that this album. came off. And it didn't really make any sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> but, you know, just because I was 11, probably, I just thought it was fucking amazing. What else was on the Simpsons album? Oh, just random things. It was like all the characters had a song. Oh, really? So there was no others that were a hit. Okay, um, I didn't know that existed. Do the Bartman was just cool. It was kind of... We were talking about this on our Patreon episode a little while ago about the Def Leppard video for Let's Get Rock, <laughs> where it's kind of like, to a child... Now, looking back on it, it's obviously, like, really lame. Yeah. But to a child, it was like, I want to be... I wanted to be Bart Simpson. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He, I mean, it was a pretty good video when you are what, 11? At number four, I'm Too Sexy by Right Sir Fred. When... History retells what British culture actually was. It's going to be right, said Fred. <laughs> well, I hope not because they've ended up be... being COVIDized. But actually, maybe that oh. sums up something about <laughs> that. Probably, uh, I, I, I think they're right really said, right wing as it's well. Right, said Fred sat in their mesh tops eating fish and chips, <laughs> like <laughs> outside the bookies somewhere. It's just so quintessential. Like I don't know. I just I really remember right, said Fred as a child. Like. They, Growing up and being like, that's so nor- that's so us, that's so British, that's so normal. Well, they did have a really nice mixture of being uh, overtly gay men, yeah, but kind of butch. You know, like yeah. like you say, like yeah, you can literally imagine them sitting down and having fish and chips. Well, yeah, uh, and they've know, got mates. Building site but, or yeah, that's it. I feel like men thought it was all right, and they, they, <laughs> they're like they're like sexuality wasn't being questioned if they thought right said Fred was all right, but they were so clearly. Being flamboyant gay men. Yeah. I don't know. It was brilliant. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were they were perfect until very recently. Yeah. Uh, something I was surprised to find is that I'm Too Sexy didn't get to number one in the UK charts. It only got to number two. Ta-ta. Which is very surprising. Sort it out. But it obviously sold very well. Number three is the Shoop Shoop song by Cher. And I love this song. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's all right. <gasps> uh, it was at number one for a really long time. I think these last three were all at number one for fucking ages. Well, and yes. they, I mean, one of them particularly, famously yeah. so, but they were all at number one for ages. And I think as a result, it's one of the reasons why I hate all of the people involved in all of these. Oh. Yeah, you're not going to agree with. But yeah, so I, I found this song, this in the way that I wanted to be Bart Simpson, desperately. Yeah. I definitely didn't want anything to do with Cher or a Little Friends. Oh. You know? <laughs> like, I didn't want to be in that video. I wanted to be in the Bartman video. Oh, I, I quite wanted, wanted to be, to be I in I quite wanted video. to be in the Right Said Fred video, probably, as well, in fairness. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to be in that show video. I really liked it. I haven't seen the film. It's from Mermaids. Yeah. I've not seen that. Terrible film. Is it bad? And I think maybe that's another problem. I think oh. I went to see that at the cinema. No, fair enough. Number two, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Fundamentally, it was Bohemian Rhapsody and also These Are The Days Of Our Lives. It's kind of a nice story behind this. Freddie Mercury died and his dying wish was to release Bohemian Rhapsody in order to make money for AIDS. So it's wonderful that it sold so many copies, uh, obviously, and yeah. probably made some money at a time when there really wasn't a lot of support yeah. uh, going on and they obviously had a massive concert as well yeah uh, in like a tribute to Freddie Mercury so those things is great I think that really did bring a lot more attention to mm. the AIDS crisis that was going on um, I mean it was everybody kind of knew about it at this point but I think the mate you know the general public but you know <laughs> the, right there Fred's builders mates they didn't give a fuck no and then, but I think having Freddie Mercury that for some reason, again, even though it was very flamboyantly gay, yeah. people kind of accepted, you know, Housewives favourite type thing. Yeah. I think um, him, both him dying and them releasing this single and having that big concert, I think that was probably, for the UK, it was probably like the big... Yeah, the, like, the, big the turn, turn on point. to it, yeah. 
Uh, did you know that he announced he had AIDS and then died the next day? No, I did not. That's really sad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really, really sad. sad. Moving on to something also quite sad. Number one, <laughs> everything I do, I do it for you by Brian Adams. Famously at number one for 16 fucking weeks. Yeah, I do you know what knocked it this. off? No, I don't think I do. It's kind of shit still. Yeah. You too, the fly. <laughs> it's fucking dreadful. <laughs> this was not the best Brian Adams song released this year. Um, I hated this. Can't song. stop this thing we started came out this year, which is a bang job, and literally becomes <laughs> yeah, on and I'm slightly that drunk. That did not chart. <gasps> but it's so good, and how dare this be the song that got remembered? It's so, so fucking I, awful. So I think it's quite an interesting thing that you would say that. I don't think that people remember this song. So as ah. for a song that was like, I think it still holds the record. I think it certainly did for a long time. I think it held does, the yeah. record for the longest period of time at number one in the charts. And Obviously consecutive now, consecutive weeks, yeah, consecutive weeks. Obviously now that doesn't mean anything because no. the charts aren't what they were. But I don't think people. I mean, they definitely don't remember this as much as they uh, remember um, Summer of '69. Yeah, for true. Um, but I think a number of his songs. And I don't think people remember this fondly. And I, I don't know who the fuck was buying it, because I clearly remember, and probably some of this was my internal world, but I clearly <laughs> remember everyone around me also agreeing, of being just so frustrated and hating this Fed song. After song. about ten weeks of it being at number one, <laughs> everyone was like, for fuck's sake, when I watch some of the pops, I have to listen to this fucking song again. <laughs> And of course, everyone. And this was is when the, the charts mattered. As yeah, well, so yeah, people probably yeah. were actually really people were angry it. about this. But yet, yeah. some arsehole was still buying enough copies of this that it Terrible. stayed at number one. And then I think even when it sort of came off, it stayed in the top ten for ages. Terrible, terrible! It was a not disaster even, for it music. Is so far and away, not the best Brian Adams song as well. Yeah, so for How me, dare. Brian Adams, Queen, and Cher—they can all get in the bin. <gasps> no, Brian Adams stays, and actually Cher, Queen. Yeah. <laughs> right, so that's the top twenty. Yeah. So now, as I've warned you already, there were fucking millions of albums, yeah, amazing albums that came out in 1991. And I have no idea how we're going to manage this or how we're going to do this any justice. No. If you've got a favourite album from 1991 and we don't mention it, it's not because we didn't know about it. Yeah. It's just hard. This is hard. Or if we mention it and say barely anything about it, it's just because there's another one coming. So what I'm going to do... I'm just, I've got a list here. Jesus, and it's I'm a just going to read it as quickly as I possibly can. And we're just going to very quickly say what we think of them. And then some of them will be... A bit there'll longer. Be a, there'll be a bit of a story about. All right. All right? Okay. You ready? And I I'm can't see the list, so it really will be quick. actively just first words. Go! Nirvana, never mind. I literally listened to it for the first time <laughs> this last month <laughs> um, leading up to this episode. Bang job, everyone knows it, but I couldn't believe just how good it is. It is an album that you don't necessarily go back to that much because it's Nirvana, never mind. Yeah. I'm sure, obviously, kids today are, are all discovering it, or they, well, they're buying t shirts with Kurt Cobain's yeah, face on it. Yeah, from Prime um, Yeah, but definitely not one that I've ever thought. Like, I, I liked yeah. Nirvana at the time, and I'll go back and listen to some Nirvana, but I know, yeah. I'll listen to Bleach quite a lot, but it, would, it never really occurs to me. To put on, no. never mind, because I just figure I've, I've yeah. heard it too much, whatever. But yeah, when you actually put it on, you're like, fuck. Yeah, really good. And this was my first, like you say, I've heard all the singles, but it's my first listen to the album this last uh, couple of weeks, and actually amazing. Like, I, I totally get it. I do think that it's not any better than a lot of the really fucking great albums that were coming out of the punk scene in the late 80s and early 90s. Though. Yeah. And it is random that it was just that one that got really it's big. happened to be. There's yeah. so many other albums. 
in the sort of couple of years beforehand, you know, like the last Oscar Do album, well, yeah. that's even longer ago, you know, replacements, all this stuff that could have just been the vibe. Could have been that one. And it just, for whatever bizarre reason. Happened to be them. Pearl Jam 10. So good. Is this the first Pearl Jam album, by yeah. the way? It's it just stonkingly good. So the, uh, more than the first Pearl Jam album. Sorry, I'm just going to have to say yeah. this. This album, 50% of this album was written um, as just music that they got yes. together and they recorded the music. They sent Eddie Vella, they'd never met him, they sent him a cassette of those songs. He wrote the words to, like, Alive. Uh, I don't think Jeremy yet, but uh, Even Flow, Even definitely. Flow. Like, all of those songs were literally written in this way that was just, like, some kid got sent a tape from some other kids. And it wasn't and he just a fan of their previous band? Yeah, Kyle, he's just a... Yeah, and, yeah. And, he, and they were like, do you want to sing? And he was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. And then, just, what a voice. What um, a fucking brilliant... I do, oh. I do like Pearl Jam. I don't think that's necessarily the coolest thing to say. But I will say, Ten is probably one of my least favourite albums. Not because I don't... Oh. I think the songs are fucking incredible. But it is really overproduced. And I think that the the albums after it, which I think most people probably don't really know, mm. uh, Verses and Vitology, are bona fide fucking great albums. Yeah. I don't care, like, just take the name Pearl Jam off them and listen to them with an open mind. Yeah. Is um, Pearl Jam not cool? Am I stupid? But I think Pearl Jam might be cool now because the 90s are cool, but, like, amongst people of our age, Oh, really? No, Pearl Jam So when cool. I, I... I'll end this quickly, but when I was at school and I went to music GCSE... All the boys that were learning guitar thought Pearl Jam was the fucking coolest thing in the world, but they were nerds as fuck. Yeah, so was yeah. that the problem? Yeah, I, I grew up thinking they were all right. Well, I think their songs are relatively easy to play on the guitar, so that's why. Yeah, I mean, like, my first band covered Alive. And my brother's band, I was in my brother's band for a while, and he fucking loved Pearl Jam. And I think, well, most of their own songs were basically Pearl Jam songs. <laughs> and then I think we covered three or four. Nice. Right, we've got to be quicker than okay, this. Okay, go. My Bloody Valentine, Loveless. I don't know it. Okay, it's an absolute fucking classic. <laughs> Metallica Black Album. Uh, that's got Andy Sandman on it. Yes. Worst Metallica. Like... Well, no, not the worst. And Angus the worst. This one is okay. But oh, I mean, this is definitely not the worst. Everything from this point onwards is the worst. Um, but... No, they had that weird little goth bit and they covered that Whiskey in the Jar Yeah, song. but that's definitely not oh, as I like good for that. Black that's Album. Oh, I like that. That's all right. But, um, what else on the Black Album? The f- I mean, all of them sad but true. Is that the true on the Black matters? Album? Sorry, take it back. Very good. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Very good. Um, it's basically the first Metallica album that Lars Ulrich could play in time. So that makes it oh, better well, than the I ones really, before. Oh, I really like the ones and, before. Uh, and they hadn't gone completely shit. Oh, okay. I really like the ones before, but this one is okay too. <laughs> no, I definitely prefer the ones before too. <laughs> yeah. just Primal Scream, Screamadelica. Very good. We went to see Primal Scream touring Screamadelica for its 30th anniversary. It was very good. Yeah, it's not an album that I knew very well, but I did enjoy seeing them live. Yeah. Pixies, Tomp Le Monde. I don't know any songs off of this album, but... Pixies are very good. <laughs> Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger. What's on this one? Okay, I get no, very confused. Jesus Christ pose. So it's a really, oh, okay. early, it's an early, not really early because they're way earlier, but it's an early Soundgarden. It's before they get big, big. Before, is it Super Unknown? Is that their yeah. famous one? So yeah. Super Unknown is when they get really big with Black okay. Hole Sun and all of that stuff. This is the one before it. They were definitely very popular. Prior to this, they've been on SST records. Okay. And then this is like their major label debut. Basically. Chris Cornell can't go wrong. Very good. I mean, he's gone wrong uh, quite a few times. That fucking <laughs> band we're raising from Jim. I didn't hate that band. I have a signed CD of that somewhere. Very massive nice. Attack. Sorry, Massive <laughs> with Blue Lines. 
<laughs> so really uh, listened to this album for the first time in the last two weeks thought god Unfinished Sympathies on it it's going to be brilliant yeah yeah I've owned this album for a very long time and I definitely listened to it when I first bought it but and I, when, when I found it in my collection I was sort of like oh I never listened to this album I'm sure yeah. I probably should and I know why I don't <laughs> it sounds really like good. lift music the whole thing what? is so boring I will say I, I it, get it it's like isn't it the beginning of like all somewhere in the middle of trip hop no it is it's the album that made up trip yeah. hop basically so yeah and that's so in that context it I think in the context of the time yeah it was really original yeah and a lot of bands like Portishead is fucking great Lamb is fucking great yeah like some of that trip hop stuff that came after it that it influenced it started and some of the later thing. Massive Attack stuff is great exactly it started a thing that went on to be really good but considering how good that single is it's really stand out on this album, I would say. The yeah, rest yeah, of it yeah. goes on to be influential to the rest of Trip Hop. That song stands out as just being timeless. I just think the other songs on it are all just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to them. It's not like... They're really slow and boring and they sound like lift music, but also, even if you sort of listen to like the vocals and imagine it maybe yeah. being a bit more up-tempo, they're not good. Like Some of them are bad, I think. <laughs> Guns and Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Fantastic. I mean, not really, but uh, yeah... Good. Is it not? Well, they're not fantastic albums to go back and listen to now, really. But they've got all those. Guns N' Roses should have made one album, and they released two True. albums with True. loads of dross on it. But eleven-year-old Dave blew my mind. Blew he said off. fuck. He sounded. <gasps> he sounded like a tough boy. Wasn't he? Wasn't he singing about? He, there's some questionable things that there's he was singing loads about. Loads of horrible words yeah. on this album. Actually, isn't he albums. really awful? I take yeah, it back. Of terrible. Talking about terrible and really awful, I'm only kidding. Skid Row, Slaves of the Grind. Yay! Skid Row's finest moment. Is no it? Quest, no question. Which album is it? Slaves of the Grind. Yeah, no, 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 but what's on this album? <laughs> um, all of the big songs. Is it? It's Quicksand Jesus, the other one. <laughs> uh, Wasted Time, that's the ballad. It's got all of them apart from Youth Gone Modern. What's the other fucking 18 one? 18 to Life. 18 to Life. 18 and Life. 18 and Life. I thought I'd do your life and you've got my This is not album. good radio. Okay, sorry. <laughs> very good. Skid Row, very good. Slint, Spiderland. Don't know. We just listened to it. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's considered, I think it's considered, I certainly consider it one of the very first emo albums in okay. the context of 90s emo. Cool. And uh, <laughs> it's extremely different to everything else that was around at the time. It's not necessarily like, I think people will kill me for saying this. I don't think it's that great of an album to listen to. But it is incredibly original. You're right, I will kill you for saying that. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really interesting documentary about Slint. They were basically just a bunch of jocks that got together and made this really weird album and then just fucked off. They never did anything else. It's really strange. Well, I like that. Teenage fan club, Bandwagoness. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? Is that what we went back for? (laughs) Fucking hell. Teenage fan club were amazing. Scottish band, I would say, created... uh, sound which was pretty much unlike anybody else and without whom you wouldn't have had Weezer Lovely. you wouldn't have had 90s era Boo Radleys you wouldn't have had probably I mean they really influenced a lot of Britpop stuff were they extremely extremely influential band where do Lemonheads feature in this kind of realm? completely different are they completely different let's not bring up bands that aren't okay, on the list sorry 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 <laughs> Primus, Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Beautiful. Wonderful. What a brilliant uh, name name for an album as well. (laughs) Uh, This isn't their best album by any means. It's quite an early one, but uh, Primus are fucking great. Uh, One of the greatest albums ever made. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not trying to influence your opinion Uh before I say what it is. Jesus Lizard with Goat. Glorious. What a glorious thing. Um, It's, I think, Jesus Lizard's best album, but that's extremely difficult to pick. 
one of my favourite albums of all time by one of my favourite bands of all time. It's a wonderful thing. I must say, uh, if you'd have described it to me, or I think the first time I ever heard it, I was like, is this music? <laughs> and then like you're like, it's so musical. Once you like actually get listening to it properly, it's the in- beautiful. Yeah, the interesting thing about Jesus Lizard is that the vocals are completely insane. <laughs> Um, and but the music is incredibly catchy. Yeah, and it works almost. This is such a weird reference, but it works almost similarly to really good black metal. With black metal, it's like it doesn't really matter what the vocals are doing because all of the melody is coming through in the guitars and stuff. But this is so much better than that. But it's like this. The 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 interesting thing that comes through in the Jesus Lizard, and as a complete non musician, I'm not yeah. saying this is a musician is it's all in like the timings and the rhythms and the grooves of it. Mm. But then once you get used to that, then you, what you suddenly realise is what the vocals are doing is actually fucking incredible. Yeah. I would say that the vocals are actually quite melodic and maybe it is through listening to it a few times and maybe not really thinking about it in the way that you've just described. Maybe it's more subconscious than that. But yeah, the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck is this? And then the more you listen to it, the more you... I don't know, I find that his vocals are really melodic within yeah. within I don't know how somewhere. melodic like somebody yelping and making noises yeah but do. it still it works more than on first listen it's jarring and then you get used to it and then you're like actually it's beautiful don't know why but it is David Yao the singer of the Jesus Lizard is basically one of the greatest men alive what a lovely human yeah, being he made an art book where he's just drawn his cat yeah, 200 times he really likes cats he didn't he put now. things in um, concrete blocks yeah he released uh, some sort of solo art book and uh, everybody that bought one got it in a concrete block which <laughs> <laughs> he made with his own hands he's absolutely wonderful and yeah Jesus Lizard one of the greatest bands of all time talking about the greatest bands of all time Fugazi released Steady Diet of Nothing beautiful things beautiful uh, things I don't think we need to say a lot about no. Fugazi I feel like at some point we'll probably do an episode about them yeah maybe. Oh, did they get a mention in our Revolution Summer episode probably I feel like they would have it wasn't actually like the album that I would have picked out as being their best I got into Fugazi the first album that I got was in on the Kill Taker which is the one after this okay when I got hold of that it was way, way after it had come out I didn't make sense to me it sounds a bit like the Jesus Lizard did the first time I listened to him because I was a kid and it was too complicated but that as a result of probably being my first is probably my favourite um, but this one because I obviously you know broke it out listened to Fugazi all the time yeah. and don't necessarily put it into any oh that's off that album that's off that album yeah. I just love fucking everything but I think this was just the perfect time for them actually in a lot of ways they'd gone weird mm. but they still had and they continued. They were fucking perfect throughout, don't get me wrong. But they had gone weird enough, but maintained some degree of... It was a good mixture of waiting room and yeah. then, like, what came after it. Okay. You know? From the high brow to the low, rock set joyride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is really good, so good on them. It is really good. <laughs> I agree. There's nothing wrong with rock set. KLF The White Room. Beautiful. Listen to these albums that we're saying. This is 1991. (laughs) Matthew Sweet, Girlfriend. I just want to throw this one in there. Matthew Sweet is someone who I don't think a lot of people know about. He is another one, similar to Teenage Fan Club. They both have a similar sound, but they developed it completely separate from each other. Matthew Sweet is from America. Mm. He released loads of albums. They all kind of sound the same. They're all very beautiful. Again, there would not be a Weezer without Matthew Sweet. He does have a beautiful little tone to his voice. It's definitely not cool music like the musicality of a lot of it like falls into almost like soft rock he's not soft rock I mean he's very he was very much like an indie rock person yeah but I mean it's similar to kind of REM 
I would okay. say it's that kind of thing. Yeah. It's more like mainstream, but he just had this way of his his one song. He's like the Ramones. He had one song really, he had one idea, but it's so good that the more he does it, it's that cutesy poetry, but that's also really heartbreaking. Yeah. So good on him. Temple of the Dog, self-titled album. Temple of the Dog is a super group of grunge. Super not, group of grunge. It's not for everyone. It's basically the first thing Eddie Vedder did when he moved to Seattle to join Pearl Jam was they were making this album, which was a tribute to Andrew Wood, who was the singer in Mother Love Bone, which was most of the members of Pearl Jam's old band who had died of a heroin overdose. And Chris Cornell was singing it, and it was more or less... Well, it was Matt Cameron, who was then the drummer in Soundgarden, but he's okay. now the drummer in Pearl Jam. And then it was the rest of Pearl Jam. And there is one song on it called I... Hunger Strike. Which is the single, which is a beautiful song. It's such a good song. I don't know the rest of that album, but if it's all like that, then that's beautiful. In it's fact, I hope it's like not all like that. It's much, more, I hope it's it's just... much more like that era, Soundgarden. Oh, which, okay. Which, which, so a bit more like metally. But... but I love it. They're just like, Eddie Vedder, think you can sing? By the way, Chris Cornell's doing the other bit. <laughs> like, fucking hell. But he did it. It's well good. Prince, Diamonds and Pearls. Okay, what's on this other than the song Diamonds, Diamonds and Pearls? And... <laughs> Uh, I think it's Could You Be the Most Beautiful Girl in the World, Oh, isn't it? oh, oh, okay. So print, it wasn't Prince's best period, but it's yeah. still fucking it's probably, great. It's Prince, it's Prince. R.E.M. Out of Time. Again, not R.E.M.'s finest moment. It's got all the songs that you know off it, but... Is that here, I mean, here's one. I, as a result, I put on Out of Time and it annoyed me because it wasn't that good. So I went back and listened to early R.E.M. So this is news to nobody, but early R.E.M. is fucking great. News to this, me, because I have avoided listening to R.E.M. my entire life. Yeah, you but should. I can see that you have listened to tons, because we have so many of their albums. Yeah, I mean, I would say, don't get me wrong, they did some good stuff. And to some extent, a lot of it is similar to um, it's similar to I'm Too Sexy, right? Like, everybody, <laughs> I think you're about to be hurts. the first person to link <laughs> R.E.M. and fr- Rights of Friends. Go! Everybody Hurts and Losing My Religion are so overplayed yeah. that they're like I'm Too Sexy. But um, so you kind of got sick of them. But they are good songs. They're not necessarily my style of music or anything. But they're good yeah. songs. Like, um, and some of the stuff they did later on is quite interesting. But their early stuff is just fucking banging. But yeah, this is where they went shit. Cool. Leatherface Mush. Just listening to it before we went on. I think that Leatherface, a very important band for punk music. Um, and actually, weirdly, there's two albums that came out this year. The other one being Peg Boy Strong Reaction. And I think between Leatherface and Pegboy, who had nothing to do with each other whatsoever, Pegboy are from Chicago and Leatherface are from Sunderland. Um, <laughs> Very similar. But no, they're not really peers of each other as such. But those two bands and those two albums that came out, I think are the exact things that influenced what we now think of as sort of indie punk. Oh, okay. So from them came Dillinger 4, from Dillinger 4 came Iron Sheik and Reviver and right. more or less now how everybody sounds that kind of gruff vocals over melodic punk music yeah those two albums i think and i can't think of anything else that was about at this point or before it they created that sound there you go but that leatherface album's a fucking beaut screeching weasel my brain hurts fucking brilliant album but ben weasel's too good yeah unfortunately <laughs> bikini kill revolution girl style now perfect which is their first demo I mean, it's not perfect. That's the whole point it's of it. Not, yeah, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's really rough. It's not perfect, but I think that's a good thing. I think yeah. Bikini Kill got better than this, but also then got worse than this. I think when they got the better that they got, the worse they got. Yeah. But this was probably a bit rough. This, around this had the proper, like, fucking screaming in your face stuff that needed to be done. So good on them. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. 
Talking about beautiful things, Jello Biafra and No Means No got oh, together. Oh, how can that be bad? It can never of, be bad. One of my favourite albums in the entire what world. What was that conversation like? Like, do you want to do a thing together? Two of the best things in the world. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Um, it's called The Sky Is Falling and I Want My Mummy. Um, it's, <laughs> literally, it <laughs> it's literally like lyrically it could be written now. Like yeah. all of the concerns on this album are exactly... What is going on But now? isn't that true of when we were talking about those documentaries at totally, the beginning? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fucked up. It's really interesting. But, you know, and Jello is just so wonderful. But I think that... So Jello Biafra, after the Dead Kennedys broke up, he did a bunch of these albums where it was him and someone else. He did one with DOA. He did a few, I think, with the Melvins. And they're all brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But this is the best. <laughs> and No Means No is such a perfect band who don't get anywhere near enough recognition. Um, Sepultura Arise... Very good. <laughs> and I didn't think I was going to enjoy this at all. We put it on the car the other day and I was like, I think I like Sepultura. And I wasn't ever planning on liking Sepultura as much. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it was thrashy as fuck. I loved it. I think this is an album that doesn't have any like standout songs on it, but I think that works really well. So on yeah. all the other Sepultura albums, there's like a big hit. Yeah. Well, not a big hit, probably, but a big song or yeah. a couple of big songs. Whereas I think this one, it just... It's perfection from start to finish. Yeah. And you don't really notice. It could almost be one long song. You don't really notice anything in it. Yeah. But it's just all great. Every riff is brilliant. And yeah. Every, you know, it's so cool. And it's mad to think that they were these weirdos that came out of Brazil. Yeah. And in an age where Brazil was just like somewhere where no one had any fucking idea what life was like in Brazil. And these fucking guys came out with this perfect thrash album. It's or great. a number of perfect thrash albums. Typo negative, so deep and hard. <laughs> Peter Steele, you beauty. This is their first album. Is this uh, their first album? Yes, yeah, their first album. Okay. So Peter Steele was actually from, kind of came out of the New York hardcore scene. And okay. he was in a band called Carnivore who had some rather unfortunate lyrics, I think. Oh, yeah, lyrics. basically he was someone who, he was a bit like when we talked about the Church of the Subgenius. He was someone who thought that everything was okay to joke about. You could just be silly. And that's obviously, and this was, and Carnivore was like 87 or mm. something. But he wrote some songs for like Agnostic Front. I think he wrote some songs for Cro-Mag actually as well. So he was kind of around that whole scene. Okay. And then he made Typo Negative. And they released this first album. This is not their famous album by any means. Bloody Kisses, which is the one that came after this, okay, is definitely like the the first big album. And then they kind of went on to much bigger acclaim. Yeah, this one has a song on it called "Unsuccessfully Coping with the Natural Beauty of Infidelity." Is this the twelve-minute-long musical banger? <laughs> yes, because it, it, it just get, like meatloaf wishes, <laughs> like it goes on a fucking journey. This is like a concept album in one song. To, and it's to, insane. Before you talk about the song, describe very briefly, because again, we've still got loads to get Fuck. through. Describe very briefly what typo negative sound is. They are unlike any other band, um, I believe. Kind of gothy. Yeah. Uh, because I think they became like an ultimate gothy kind of band. Uh, sometimes a bit danzigy. Yeah. Sometimes a bit sexy. Very sexy. Very sexy. I mean, the lead singer, Peter Steele, famously had a massive penis that he got out quite a bit. Um, we didn't get it out tall. quite a bit. You say that like I mean I've already called him a racist, so let's he's dead as well. Let's be <laughs> careful. He didn't get it out like inappropriately. He got it out for the cover of Playgirl magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but not many not many singers and bands did that. Let's no, no, of way. course, but I'm just saying you you said it in a way that made him sound like a sex <laughs> Well yeah, true. Okay, I didn't mean it quite like that, but like it's something that's very famous about him. Yes. And not many people uh, get their penis out once and have people talk about it this long. <laughs> 
He had a funny old voice. He had wasn't an incre- really singing sometimes. He had a very deep, like incredibly deep voice. He was yeah. a very large man. <laughs> yeah. And he had a very deep voice. I always thought he looked a bit like Lemmy, but really skinny and stretched out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had quite a sad life. I thought he committed suicide, but actually he didn't commit suicide. He oh. died of some sort of heart failure. Oh. But um, he suffered from bipolar disorder his whole life. Did he? And he genuinely was very depressed, but he had this way of dealing with it where it was all humour. Yeah. So all of the songs, despite the fact that they don't sound humorous in any way really I mean they are a bit absurd don't get me wrong but it's not a funny sound but they always had this weird tongue-in-cheek yeah nature about them which I don't know they just mix so many things that I don't think any other bands would mix this really serious kind of goth sounding music yeah this really sort of quite not not really tough guy image but this kind of quite intimidating he was intimidating purely by size and like his stature and the way he carried like a bodybuilder and stuff but then they would have these songs that were kind of quite childish gags I mixed mean, in with yeah. I really want to die yeah or like, I don't want to be in this I world I don't want to be me was yeah. their big song <laughs> yeah. and you're just like that's fucked up yeah but um, this song's brilliant yes uh, it goes on a bit of a journey it does about you know troubles in a relationship there's a weird sing-along bit to I know you're fucking someone else and then the background <laughs> boys who are tough like who knows you're fucking <laughs> and it's just like what the, and there's this weird little synth in the background that just makes it all really playful. Yeah, well, there's that weird little synth, which isn't... It's like the sound... And he, in one of their songs, he does the, the Adam's Family bit. But ah. the synth song is... The synth sound is exactly that. That Adam's Family... Is it? You know that... It's that ah. on every fucking song. It's so good. <laughs> and then what are the lyrics after that? Um, oh, there's so many. Well, <gasps> I mean, <laughs> there's one bit where they just chant cunt, whore. Whore. <laughs> Um, Slut. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is awful. And that's when I think, when we listened to it, I was like, is he a nasty man? You were like, this is all meant to be tongue-in-cheek, but it is a bit much. Yeah, I mean, I think, but it's weird. Again, nothing adds up with Typo Negative. So, and I don't know if this is a made-up story, but apparently this entire album was written in one day when his girlfriend, <laughs> I mean, it's, that sounds already, but his girlfriend had left him. Okay. And so he wrote this whole album. And so in that context, it's like, all right, so there's this song about someone cheating on you yeah. where you're being really hor- horrible about them. That can't be tongue-in-cheek, but there's no question that the song is tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But that's where the kind of weird, almost discordian yeah. element of Tybo Negative comes along, I, I feel. What was the lyric about? Um... Um, <laughs> you've got come on your mind and come on your lips. Or breath something. or come something. Your breath. Like, you got come on your mind, you got come on your breath. And you're like, what the fuck? I've got a question. Um, Tybo Negative appear to me to be kind of hip I see loads and loads of people in punk bands wearing Typo Negative t-shirts. Really? And not tough boy punk bands. No, yeah. potentially, ironically, I'm not sure, but like people in cool, hip punk bands. Oh, maybe. Wearing Typo Negative t-shirts. I do see this quite a lot. And I don't know if it's just because maybe Primark has started uh, stocking maybe. them or but I don't think it is. And they did have a genuine period where they were big. So it's not impossible that these are people that are probably kind of like a bit younger than me. Yeah, because I remember the big period and it was in amongst the the bad music time. So it's not impossible that these are just people that, you know, they look at Type and it was like something they listened to when they were kids. And so now they're where they're teaching because they love them. But I'm just interested in in the context of the punk scene in 2022, how those people feel about wearing the T-shirt of a band by a man who used to make racist jokes for fun has a song that where he's literally chanting slut, slut. and whore. 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 
you know, Church. I don't know. I, I'm not, not right. sure I would wear a tie-break no. t-shirt. Well, These people are much hipper there than is, me. There is a more... tie-break negative t-shirt off that Peter Steele front cover of Playgirl. <laughs> like someone's crudely drawn it and then it is just him holding his big old penis. It's very odd. Well, I think he's wonderful and I do think tie-break negative are wonderful. We have given them an awful lot of time. We have. We've probably spoken about them more than all the other bands. Well, <laughs> Alice Cooper releases Hey Stupid album. Hey Stupid. Is that got Spelt schools with out double O. No, schools out from like the 70s. Oh, is this Poison? No, is Poison? No, is it this, this is after Poison. This oh. is got Feed My Frankenstein Oh on no, it. Uh, This is where he, uh, this is the album that he would have been touring, I guess, when he was in Wayne's World and they said, I'm not worthy. Uh, I got Hey Stupid out of the library on cassette tape. That's how fucking old this is. Mr. Oh. Big Lean Into It. Oh, if you really want to hear me talk this. for an hour about Mr. Big's Lean Into It, just sign up to our Patreon. It's better and... than that. I swear <laughs> to God, we talk about other things. But there is a bit where Dave does a little cry about uh, Mr. Big. Um, Mr. Big's Lean Into It had the song to be with you on it, which, as we uh, decided on the uh, Patreon episode, is the most beautiful ballad we ever written. We didn't decide anything. Or possibly one of the worst songs ever written, <laughs> depending on how you want to look at it. Close to that. Caius released Wretch. Wretch is Caius's first album. Ooh. But this is another example of 1991 just being this breeding ground for complete originality just appearing out of nowhere. I mean, it didn't literally appear out of nowhere. Caius were based in the desert somewhere and they used to play these, famously play these gigs out in the middle of nowhere. They would turn up really loud, everyone would be stoned and they would play what has become known as stoner rock. Mm-hmm. This isn't their best album by any means, but it created an entire... I mean, they didn't do it single-handedly. There was stuff going on before this, but I do think Caius were like the band that brought that sound. Green Day released their first two albums (laughs) in 1991. I mean, fundamentally, Kaplunk came out in 1991, and they sort of reissued like this sort of compilation of all their other stuff. Okay. But again, their first... Do you know what? Their first album's fucking good. If you just if you ignore it's Green Day and just listen to it as a pop punk album, Kaplunk isn't as good, but it's pretty cool. And I don't think anyone can say that. I mean, Dookie was obviously came out quite a long time after this, but you know, Dookie's a fucking great album. Yeah, exactly. This was when they There's were a, place a little for Green under, Day. This is, they were a little underground band in San Francisco, annoying everyone at Gilman Street, and then got really big. Talking about annoying, Smashing Pumpkins released Gish, which Pumpkin is their Gish. first album oh, as well. So it's yeah. like really early stuff. It's probably some of the best stuff they ever did in a kind of noisy, slightly uh, interesting, uh, interesting way. way. But it's not as listenable as Tonight Tonight. When they became a pop band, yeah. <laughs> Julian Cope released Peggy Suicide. It's a really good Julian Cope album, but it is proper fucking weird hippie music about the Stones. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. It's the only Julian Cope album I own. There's definitely something going on here. We, we talk about all of this sort of uh, weird folksy shit that was going on at this time. Round about the early 90s, it was coming to a head. Like, Julian Cope released this album. Like, the KLF were doing a lot of weird shit. And Level in the Land, where the Levelers came out. All right. Fucking great album. <laughs> and has a very similar sort of, you know, like, there was a big travelling scene and all of this sort of stuff going on. Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine released 30-something. We've already talked about them. Guar released America Must Be Destroyed. Oh, my gosh. Which is one of their best albums, definitely their most remembered album. We're not going to talk about this because we're definitely going to do a Guar episode Oh, yeah, true. Guar episode, episode to come. TBC. Ice Cube released Death Certificate, which isn't his best album, but it's pretty good. Public Enemy released Apocalypse 91, which isn't their best album, but it's pretty good. <laughs> Cypress Hill released their first album, which uh, is kind of the same. It's not as good as what came after it. It doesn't have any of the famous songs on it. 
but it, it's I paving the way. Fucking loved Cypress Hill. Did in you really? Nineteen ninety, probably three. Or I when guess. they when the when insane off. in the brain came yeah. out and all that shit. <laughs> I think for me mostly, and this is definitely true of this era as well. Like hip hop, and maybe this is just because I'm a sad white boy from Orpington. Hip hop needs to be pretty kind of pop. Or it needs to be really underground. Yeah, I get what you, you mean. You know, I don't really like the, the the middle stuff. And I feel like definitely the Ice Cube album, it's not pop enough and it's not hard enough. And and I think there's a, a Ice-T released original Gangster. And when I was this age, I fucking loved Ice-T. I didn't know this album. but you know, It's somewhere like, in the middle. that you, It's not accessible to you in that respect. Yeah. Wonder Stuff released Never Loved Elvis. We've already talked about there. Morrissey released Kill Uncle. I know that everyone hates Morrissey. I hate Morrissey too, but this is a fucking good album. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Beat Happening released Dreamy, which isn't their best album, but it's a late one. There you go. Jesus Christ. That's a lot of albums. 991, you've done good. There was more than that, but God, you, don't want, so to, many you don't want us to that. go there. You don't want us to go there. <laughs> well, I think we're going to have to move on to movies now. <laughs> Charlie Sheen is in a movie this year, Hot Shots. Very good film, very good film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but he watched a different film, uh, the second in something called The Flower of Flesh and Blood. Okay. I think it was a TV thing. He was so affected by it, what did he do? I think The Flower of Flesh and Blood is actually a Japanese film. Isn't it part is of it? the guinea pig series? It might be. In which case it's someone getting tortured. Uh-huh. So did he... He didn't want people to break into his house. He bought a gun. Not quite. He called the FBI, said it was a snuff film because there was a death scene in it that he very much believed. Yes, well, guinea pig... No, so the guinea pig films are famous for this. This is totally off topic. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's about eight of them and they're really fucked up. They're Japanese movies that were in which literally somebody is just, from start to finish, it's just one person getting tortured in a chair. And they're really renowned because special effects artists watch them because they're really well done. Yeah. But they're so well done that they look People like a snuff out. film. Oh, okay. But they're not snuff films. So I was just attracted to this because I thought Charlie Sheen was mental and maybe it was like a really boring film that he no, got freaked out No, it's really about. dark that he watched it though because in 1991 he must have like bought a dodgy videotape from Japan. <laughs> I don't know what else he was watching. Oh gosh. Well, FBI looked into it, it's not snuff and you've pretty much answered that. Which band performed Tommy the Cat before Bill and Ted in the Battle of the Bands? Primus. Yay, we already mentioned them. Six million dollars were spent on special effects on Terminator 2, but what did the sound man use to make the sound of the bad Terminator thing, the T-1000, when he passed through the metal bars? Oh, God, I don't know. It cost Uh, him 35 cents. Okay, uh, a whoopee cushion. He mic'd up a can of dog food and he turned it upside down and it went... (laughs) And as it came out, he he filmed that and that was the sound that they used for the the baddie coming through the metal bars. Some of the other things they did, to do the flowing of mercury sound, the metallic sound, they sprayed dust off into a mixture of flour and water with a condom-sealed microphone submerged in goo. And uh, for bullets uh, striking the baddie, they uh, slammed inverted glass into a container of yoghurt. Oh, very good. So a lot of money spent on that film, but they spent very little on sound. Good boy. (laughs) Which film credits Adolf Hitler as worst boy in the credits? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. I don't know, it's got to be a comedy film. Maybe Hot Shot. No, Naked Gun 2 and a half. It is Naked Gun 2 and a half. It's so terrible. And I've just realised it's such bad taste given the documentary we talked about earlier. Apologies, really bad. Which WWF wrestler featured in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2? Oh, fuck. 
Was it Kevin Nash? It's Kevin Nash! <laughs> um, it's with the Turtles' first encounter, Tocca and Raza. And Michelangelo goes, didn't we see these guys on WrestleMania? And turns out Kevin Nash is oh, actually in Jesus. the film. That's an in-joke. That's hilarious in-joke. There's some terrible ones, yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of my quiz. So sadly, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles didn't quite make it into the top 10 grossing movies of 1991. Uh, They were at number 13. Uh, So we're just going to do the top 10. Yes. So we've already mentioned at number 10, The Naked Gun 2.5, The Smell of Fear. And uh, I, which I think is my dad's favourite film. I think I accidentally really... Like, I, I never watched any Naked Gun stuff growing up. And I only watched Police Squad and stuff of that ilk like very recently. But I think it might be my exact level of humour. <laughs> which I appreciate is mainstream as fuck and really easy. I don't think it is mainstream. I don't think mainstream is the right it's word. So particularly awful. not now. now. No, no, it's no, not no. mainstream now. On PC think. and really terrible. No, there's something... I feel like I shouldn't be laughing at it, but... I feel like I find it very funny. And that's not good. I don't know where that comes from, but just, I love it. It's just that thing of something stupid going on at all times. It's so stupid. And I think that what that turned into didn't work past the roundabout probably this date. Because in order for that to work, right, everyone has to not mind looking stupid. Yeah. So Leslie Nielsen didn't mind looking like a fool. Yeah. The problem is, is that when you, you know, a few years on from this, you go to stuff like American Pie. Ugh. They kind of tried to do something similar, but they everyone had to be cool. Yeah. You had to think they were, like, fun and it, cute at the end. Yeah. And, you're like, and it doesn't no. work. It has to be, like, just an old boy Buffoon. being stupid, <laughs> yeah. you know, who's willing to just do whatever. Being slightly wrong and telling the most dad jokes. But I love it. It's so terrible, but I love it. Number nine is Hook. Yes. I feel like this is a, a fave of yours. Uh, it was when I was a child. I mean, I haven't watched it for years. Uh, we weren't able to watch all of the movies oh, God, in 1991. No. We'll get to that in a bit. I did go and see it at the cinema, and I did love it when I was a child. Fair enough. Now, number eight is uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, I... uh, which managed to make over $100 million at the, at the box office. Um, I'm not going to lie, I haven't watched it. No, don't actually know what it is or who's in it. Um, same goes for number seven, Dances with Wolves. Oh, come on. I don't know it. This is Kevin Costner in The Wilderness. Dealing with the Indians. Oh dear! <laughs> it, it's uh, I went to see this at the cinema as well. Did you? And, Did you enjoy it? Um, no, I didn't because I was a little boy, and for some reason I was taken to see Dances with Fucking Wolves. <laughs> but I tell you what, I did enjoy as a little boy. Number six, Home Alone. Yeah. With Macaulay Culkin and Joe yeah. Pesky. Yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a Home Alones person. Are you not? Not really. No. It wasn't part of my childhood, so maybe that's why it uh, doesn't affect me in any way. But I just don't like it that much. Yeah, I don't think I would say it affects me. <laughs> well, no, but people like really like it. And it's like some people's Christmas movie and it's, you know, da 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 But I just don't care about it at all. Other than Macaulay Culkin is a wonderful little human being. Yeah, He's grown up to be a very strange boy. No, I but love Macaulay Culkin. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Number five, The Addams Family. This is more like it. I fucking love this movie. This is more like it. And it's both uh, The Addams Family and the the sequel to Addams Family Values, I think just both, to watch watch now, they stand up so well. I just think they're so good. I'm amazed that this is as popular as it was. I mean, I guess The Addams Family must have had, it's a famous franchise that they obviously made a movie for because people still remembered it or whatever. Was it a TV programme? It was a TV programme, like yeah. a black and white TV programme. Yeah. And it's crazy that 
this movie made $110 million. It did so well. In a year where some pretty big films came out. Yeah. That are far more popular now, I would say, maybe. Number four is City Slickers, which we didn't watch. and I didn't like when I did watch it. Oh, I've never seen it, but I wrote down a a quote which uh, Jack Plant says, which is, I crap bigger than you, which uh, I thought was nice, but I don't know anything else about the film, so... I think Jack Palance was kind of doing the Leslie Nielsen there. Really. He was just an old boy that didn't mind making himself look like Oh, really? <laughs> Number three is The Silence of the Lambs. And it's, that's pretty good. It's a fucking great it's movie. It's pretty good. It's another one that to watch now, it really holds up. Is it the better one? It's probably the only one I remember. I don't think I've seen Hannibal. Uh, uh, to, for me... And Red Dragon's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I think they just got a bit too schlock. Like, I think this film is brilliant. I think all of the sequels, whilst they're all good and they're obviously everyone's yeah. got big budgets and good directors and all of that stuff, they're not bad films, but this there was no need to make any of the sequels. No, this one's like the perfect version of a scary man because for most of it he is stuck. He's not going anywhere. But the film's the main not scary man. fully about him. Either. Yeah, it's not. It's a it's a film about a lot of different stuff. Yeah, and it's not really. I mean, it is a horror movie, but it's not made like a horror movie at mm. all. I don't think it's got a really nice atmosphere. More psychologically it's, interesting. Yeah, I just think it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, no, it's a good. It's I a really good... don't like Hannibal Lecter. What's his name? Uh, oh, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, <laughs> he was in the worst film ever made. What's the worst film ever made? Meet Joe Black. I've never seen that, but that's not what I thought you were going to say for some reason. I was, uh, I was at the cinema to <laughs> see de- me, Joe Black. You've definitely told me about your hatred for this film before. I, I, I mean, I've never seen it since this day. I don't know when it came out. It was probably late 90s something. Yeah. It's got Brad Pitt and. I think it's the girl from Mallrats. Okay. And uh, Anthony Hopkins. I couldn't tell you what it's about. Okay. I can't remember anything about it. It's a really long time since I've seen you it. You just got some hate. But for I it. still remember the exact feeling that I walked out of the cinema with after having to sit through okay. it, and I was enraged. Enraged. <laughs> Absolutely enraged. <laughs> uh, number two, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Not the best Robin Hood film. Oh. All right. Terrible. In fact, there's two. Terrible now. There's two better Robin Hood films. All right, than this. go on. Which ones? I bet one's the Disney one, right? One is definitely the Disney one. It's fucking right. brilliant. There's no nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. So 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 good. Top five Disney. Uh, films. All right. And what's the other one? Not the, uh, not the recent one with fucking. No, no. Russell Crowe yeah. in the bin. I've all never right. seen it, but I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's total good. dog shit. Uh, Men in Tights. It's <laughs> just a mock of this. <laughs> but it's way better than this. <laughs> Menetize is way good. It's the Mel Brooks stupid humour, which actually I've come to realise I don't like so much. So maybe if I like, if we watch no. Menetize now, it would be bad. No, so I think you do like the Mel Brooks style of humour. It's just that, that there was that one movie. That Blazing Saddles that, that, that was dirt, dog like. shit. I think, but I Men think that's is exactly so stu- what Naked Gun... I think Naked Gun does it better. Yeah. Um, but as a kid growing up, I watched Men in Tights and thought it was fucking brilliant. <laughs> um, which says a lot about the way I was brought up. Well, I started a media studies A-level when I was at sixth form. <laughs> and we studied... Sorry, that's not funny. We stu- it is funny. We studied Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Did you? I dropped out pretty because soon afterwards. That. No, not, not because of that. <laughs> I'm but it was standing just, for this It was shit. really strange. It was like, here's an introduction to how to read film, right? How to, you know, look deeply into films and look for yeah. metaphors and look for why directors make certain choices. They pick fucking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Terrible. It's terrible. But the biggest selling movie of this year, and rightly so, finally the public did the right thing. I think one of the biggest movies, it's an obscure word, one of the biggest movies ever made. Yeah, I mean, it beats all the others, like, monetarily No, wise, I mean, by a I'm lot. being metaphorical. Oh. It's just a big movie. It's just a it? big movie. Like, it will never be forgotten. It's for a sequel. 
Until more recently, I think it was the best performing sequel ever made. Yeah. Until, I can't remember, I think it was Toy Story 2 that's the next one. Oh, that's so depressing. <laughs> it's fucking good, so don't even go there. That shows where the fucking babyfication of adults has, has gone, though, isn't it? <laughs> I might have gone that so wrong. In, Maybe that's my... That might be it, my opinion it, leaking in, I don't in know. In 91 Terminator 2 and in fucking 2006 it was... Toy Story 2. Oh, stop it. Well, there we go. It was Terminator 2, Judgment Day, which is, I think, the famous Terminator film. Like, it's yeah. the one. Yeah. The first one's okay, and then this the one... The first one's like... not okay. The first one's amazing. Yeah, but The first but one's this low one... budget and not as... And then this one just fucking blows everything out, and it's fucking brilliant. Edward Furlong, yeah. he turns up. He's Arnie's the best one. Edward Furlong, uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> took too much crack and, and got fat and looks like Widow Twankin. <laughs> Is he still alive? He might be dead. I, um, I thought he was close to dying and then maybe survived. He might be He dead. popped up in, I think it was the remake of Night of the Demons. Okay. And this is pro- this is at least ten years ago. It might be a bit more than ten years ago, if anything. And he doesn't he doesn't look like... You wouldn't know it was Edward Furlong. Oh. I mean, you can tell he's got no teeth. It's so sad that he made a film. That anyone allowed him to be in a film at that point. Oh, that's such a shame. He really he's is. such a promising little guy. Yeah. During the filming of Terminator 2, a random passerby, a female, walked into the set where Arnie's in his pants in the bar. When Delicious. He's and uh, she didn't realise somehow that it was a film going on. So she asked what was going on and Arnie said, oh, it's stripper night tonight. And they used that joke in Terminator 3. Oh, There Jesus you go. <laughs> Arnie. Terrible business. What a character. Oh, he's such a funny boy. In Spain, they don't say hasta la vista, baby. They say sayonara, baby, so that the joke can continue to carry over. <laughs> well, brilliant. Okay, these are all facts. I haven't got any more facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I have one more fact. <laughs> so the dude that plays the bad guy yeah. learned to run really fast, breathing only through his nose, so he would look like a robot. And the guy, when they was doing the chase scene, they said, do you want to put your pedal down because he will catch you? And they were like, oh, he'll be fine. And he fucking caught up with the motorbike for real in the chase scenes on foot because he got really good at running. That Why is... do robots only breathe through their nose? I think he did it to make it look more mechanical because they don't need to breathe. Robots don't breathe. So he needed to learn how to run looking like he knew what to do. I breathe your blood. <laughs> I breathe your blood. <laughs> he popped up again. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Right, well, this is turning into a very long podcast. It's so long. There's so many good films that came out in 1991. Oh, God. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about the ones that we watched. Yep. And we're going to be brief. Yep. And then I might run through the list of how many fucking amazing other films there were. God. We started with New Jack City. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were going to talk about the good ones. Oh, no, the ones we watched. It was good. I liked it. I really like New Jack City. I think it's interesting. New Jack City, and also, so I think the next one we watched, or the next one I'm going to bring up, My Own Private Idaho. Yeah. Very, very different films. Extraordinarily different films. But both tackling, like, a problem in our society. Mm-hmm. So New Jack City is all about the crack epidemic in yeah. New York, and it's all about, like, the people in charge who aren't helping, but also the people on the street that aren't yeah, helping yeah. and doing, you know, doing bad things and the people that are getting caught up in it my own private idaho is about uh kind of latchkey kids and people that are unparented and left to their own devices and are living really sort of dangerous lives yeah but, you know they're sort of rent boys and what have you yeah like i say two very different subjects and very very different films but they both do the same thing which seems to be and i've sort of noticed this in a few films from this era they tackle these like really hard-boiled social issues but they do it in this quite sort of almost fairy tale like way. Mm. So like New Jack City 
isn't realistic. You know, the characters uh, yeah, aren't it's very realistic. It's not hard hitting. Yeah, it's really over the top. Yeah. It's not that well made and like it's not that well acted or written and things. And I think that has something to do with it. But it has a kind of dreamlike quality and it's not really a... It, point being, if it was made now, it would be like so kitchen sink drama. It would be yeah. so realistic. And the same with My Own Private Idaho. And both of them are so not realistic. Mm. That's the one thing they're not. They're dealing with these really real issues. And they're trying to make almost kind of... They're hitting you over the head with the point they're trying to make. Yeah, definitely. I mean, New Jack City literally at the end is like, everybody died because of crack. (laughs) You should not take crack. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's no subtlety involved whatsoever. But it's just interesting the way that they... They're almost more like 80s movies. And, of course, they would be. Yeah, that's true. Because they're only a couple of years past the 80s or whatever. But I think the point I'm trying to make is I like it. I don't. I, I like my. I like my hard reality to be kind of not very realistic. Really in your face, hard. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I get it. I mean, I thought less. I thought it was more deliberate with Private Idaho in a very like. Sometimes there was to the camera spoken stuff, and there was sometimes reciting of Shakespeare. It was like almost to like make it over the top fairy tellish. Yeah. But yeah. um. But then I thought it was a bit more of a hard hitting. Realist. There was more realism to that story, I thought. Even though it was purposefully surreal, mm. and that sometimes you didn't really know if they were actually in the places they were or if it was a weird dream. Whereas, yeah, New Jack City was just like, here's an over-the-top action film about something that is really serious, and we do want you to understand it, but we also want you to be entertained, so here's it plus a thousand. I, yeah, I almost got the impression that they weren't looking at it in that way. I don't think they thought it was an over-the-top action film. I think yeah. they thought they were making a, they nailed it. a real reality you know and in a way it was like there was elements of it that were literally taken from factual events yeah but it it did a very good job of showing the people within the cultures and the people within the communities that were killing their own people because they did run it as a here's the black community killing black community just for money to throw crack around um and i thought that bit was told quite well but yeah it is you are blasted over the head with a ridiculous, ridiculous film. But it is really enjoyable to watch. No, I really liked it. And, <laughs> I really liked it. I mean, it. Wesley Snipes is extremely over the top, but I do really like Wesley Snipes. <laughs> what did you think of My Own Private Idaho? I, I didn't really feel that I understood the telling of the story and the flow of it for a long time. And I found that a little bit difficult at first. Then I thought it was a really cutesy telling of a story about friendship. And I just thought it was really sweet. In amongst some really hard-hitting stuff, I thought the relationship between Keanu Reeves' character and Thingamy Phoenix, what's his name? I've completely forgotten. River Phoenix. I thought their relationship was really well done, and I thought it was really cute as hell, and I loved it. But overall, I found it a little bit, like, weird to watch, because it does do this weird, deliberate... Uh, is it in a dream place? Are they in this real world? Because the main character has narcolepsy, so every now and then he does drift off into this dream world. So in a way, it's clever, and but it is a bit ham-fisted, those bits. Oh, the narcolepsy is very um, ham-fisted. Yeah. yeah. But I think just for their little relationship, I think it's a really beautiful story. Hmm. Um, I don't like how it ends, but it ends that way. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. Uh, I have to say, my own private Idaho is a film that I've... Been obviously been aware of for years and just never watched, never happened yeah. to have stumbled across it and watched it. And it's always been one that I've just always presumed was this amazing film yeah. that everyone remembers really fondly. And I had absolutely no idea that it was directed by Gus Van Zandt. Mm. And weirdly, in our 2003 Time Cop episode, 
we watched that film Elephant that he did. Yeah. And I had a very similar relationship to that, where I just presumed Elephant was this great film. Yeah. And when I saw it was from that year, I was like, well, we've got to watch that one. Yeah. And I did the same with my own private Idaho. And I fucking hated Elephant. And <laughs> I think you did too. Yeah, no, I didn't and enjoy it. To that be much. honest, this had a lot of the same things that I didn't like about it in a lot of ways. It was very meandering. Mm. And it just sort of got lo- I thought the story got lost in all of the bullshit. I thought he just, it was like having a nice bit of malt loaf, <laughs> but putting way, way, way too much butter on it. Can you put too much butter on a malt I've seen you eat malt loaf. I'm fairly sure you don't know what too much I don't butter know why, is. I don't know why I use malt loaf as a matter Yeah, I know. Like, you love poor. your butter on your malt loaf. But, um... <laughs> but well, you know, butter and then putting some jam on it as well, like a lunatic and some peanut butter. That sounds you know, quite good. Just like too much. There was just too much bullshit. I think, yeah. And I thought that it suffered from the fact it was made in 1991, where you pretty much couldn't really show anybody being gay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it was weird. It was weird to watch in modern eyes because it was sort of like there were bits where I know at one point I think it was one peck of a kiss on the lips that two men do yeah but there was like so many points where obviously they should have been like physically close to each other yeah and they just did it in they they filmed it in ways where they couldn't ever show that because and i don't think it was probably the filmmaker that didn't want to show that and obviously they were trying to tackle this um difficult for the time subject matter but it just felt maybe almost as a result of that, it felt like none of the characters really connected with each other. So everybody felt really distant. So when you're saying like their relationship yeah. seemed really nice, it sort of did. I mean, I didn't think River Phoenix acted very well in it. I thought Keanu Reeves was better than him, and Keanu, I love him. I love, love him. Keanu, but he's I thought he did quite bad. <laughs> he's not an actor, but I don't think anyone in this acted very well. Yeah, but there was something considering how poor the acting was. I still felt like their relationship was really good. So I don't know what that is, whether it's them, whether it's the telling of the story. Because I do think you're right. There was loads of other bits that were kind of like meandering. But I felt like the only thing I took from it was their friendship. Mm. And I really liked this telling of their friendship. Um, the rest of the points were kind of like either slammed around the head or left kind of going meh. Um, I think the B-52 song is way better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really understand the connection. <laughs> I think it must be a saying. I was thinking of this. We yeah. should check this before we, before we did this. Right? <laughs> um, well, talking about beautiful relationships displayed on the silver screen, we then watch Cool as Ice, which is, <laughs> which is Vanilla Ice's movie. Um, as you'll know, if you listen to our podcast, uh, which you must do if you've listened to this one this far, <laughs> three hours worth, uh, we review very shit mu- movies, usually. Yeah. We're not normally talking about highbrow things like... Not often. My Own Private Idaho and New Jack City. <laughs> um, but I think Call as Ice might be one of the most batshit crazy, terrible movies of all time. I accidentally loved it. I enjoyed it, but yeah. it was like... I think I said this at the time, it was like a madman's dream. Yeah, well, like a madman named Robert Van Winkle. Well, no, but he definitely didn't direct it or write it. No uh, way true. has he got the skills. And actually, to to do that. They're, they're, those people are named. Like, as in, yeah. I, I wondered if there was going to be any credits to this film. <laughs> because who would dare say that they wrote any of those lines? But someone did. I mean, everything is supposed to be weird and kooky. It's, it, it, runs, it runs the line of almost being genuinely amazing <laughs> because 
If you ignore the fact that the script's bad and the acting's bad, which we often do when we're reviewing trashy movies, there's loads of like crazy stuff in this film. Like I, the closest thing I can compare it to is probably something like Purple Rain or like any of those Prince movies. Right. Because in those Prince movies, they all have this kind of dreamlike quality where nothing really adds up, but it doesn't really need to add up. Yeah. And most of the point is to get from one song to the next. Yeah. And as a, some of those are beautiful. Like Purple Rain, the movie, is obviously a fucking classic. And Graffiti Bridge is really great as well. And I think that they probably had that in mind when they were making this Vanilla right, Ice okay. movie. Because, like, purposefully, they just... Loads of things are weird. Nothing really adds up. They're singing a song, then they all get on their motorbikes, they drive off, then they find this random yeah. suburb with this w- really weird house, which for no reason, it looks like the set of Erie, Indiana. Yeah. It's just got it's like massive clocks looking. and weird, a huge shoe that someone sits in and, you know, just weird. Everything's weird. And then this guy, for some reason, says he'll fix someone's motorbike. But they've got to live there for three days. And then they live things. in this place, but they don't really live there because the only time they're ever shown, they're not doing anything living. Well, they're, they're dancing just, in the street. They're either dancing or they're sitting on a stool, yeah. staring longingly into the distance. Going, why won't this man I've never met before, who's now my new mate, fix my bike quicker? Yeah. And so then weird. all the while this is going on, Vanilla Rice meets a girl. Of course he does. That's fine. That yeah. makes sense. The girl's got a boyfriend who's a douchebag, so that's fine. That gives him something to do. Yeah. But then the girl's dad turns out to be in a witness protection agency <laughs> and some mafia blokes sort of turn up and then Vanilla Ice kind of gets involved in that in a way. By accident. Not really. Yeah. And there's loads of montage. So much montage. And so many just like, let's just have some of Vanilla Ice's friends dancing in the street yeah. uh, whilst the bike is not being fixed. And, and he... then we'll go back to, I don't know, them dancing in the desert because that's what they've done now. And he comes across really badly in it. That's the other thing. Extraordinarily badly, but... Partly because of no skill. Well, by the end, and I don't know whether it's because everyone else's acting levels were being brought down, but at the beginning you really notice that he's the token non-actor. Yeah. But by the end, I felt like he was a good actor. (laughs) And I don't know what that says. Either he fell into it or or everyone else just ends up being really shit. But (laughs) by the end, I was like, you know what? Everyone in this film is brilliant. (laughs) Well, from that piece of high art, we moved on to Barton Fink, which came out in 1991, oh. which is the Coen Brothers' second film, but first kind of widely distributed film. Mm. I'd seen this before. You haven't seen this before. I'd never seen you? this before. Go on. What, did you, what was your take I, on I it? Just, I think I'm in love with John Totoro <laughs> because he just plays the most adorable, but yet arseholy, but adorable man in <laughs> this. Um, I, I imagine there's tons of points to take from it, but I thought it was really fucking cool i don't necessarily understand the complete of the ending and let's not talk about the ending of films but um i thought it was a really interesting film it was not what i thought it was going to be at all and i loved it yeah i fucking love this film i'd seen it a few times before it's one of my favorite coen brothers films probably i mean you know the other ones i think the other ones are probably slightly better put together and maybe a bit more sort of charming in a way but this is extremely charming and very well put together don't get me wrong but I think there's I less think people in beautiful. it, but they're all fucking brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think that what it's talking about is sort of selling out. It's like talking about somebody who is who is making bona fide art and yeah. then is kind of pulled to Hollywood for the yeah. money. And it does it all in ex- in extreme metaphor. Yeah, really. Whereby you know, lots of things happen, and there's some, there's a there's a, yeah. there's definitely a storyline, but it's not. It's a lot of just kind of like odds and sods are just happening to this guy. Yeah, and um. I think it's beautiful and I think it's amazing. It is really... It's such a good film. It's really, really well told. I really loved it. John Goodman is fucking fantastic in it. Talking about really, really good? 
We moved on to Prayer of the Roller Boys. So good. This is the Corey Haim post-apocalyptic rollerblade movie. Which is also maybe all about white power, which again, we're talking about white power return at the beginning yeah, and the problem is, that's yeah. going on at the in America. Yeah. And then when we were watching one of the documentaries the other day and they talk about Day of the Rope, you're like, that's from Prayer of the Rollerboys. Well, no, so that's really complex. So yeah. I have no idea how this has happened, right? It's so weird. So in Prayer of the Rollerboys, which is one of my favourite movies, from uh, I've been watching it for years, and... <laughs> The Roller Boys are this gang, and they have this thing called Day of the Rope, which everybody thinks is the day that they're going to hang all of their enemies, but actually it turns out it's the day that they're planning on more or less giving everybody drugs, which again is another... So, mm. I mean, it's a total metaphor. It's a made-up drug, but it's a total metaphor for all the shit that's in New Jack City. Yeah. And... They're going to sterilise They're going to sterilise everybody, and so the Day of the Rope is more or less this quieter thing. It's not yeah. actually going to be violence. It's just going to be that they're sterilising all the people that they consider to be useless, as it were. Yeah, and they're useless by default if they're already addicted to the drug they sell. Yeah, exactly. And so they it's, not, it's that, not them doing it. It's yeah. like, you're stupid enough to be addicted to our drug, we're going to sterilise you. And they push it on people of other races and this sort of yeah. stuff, and it's very much like a racist thing. Yeah. But we watched, the, like you say, we watched a documentary. Yeah. And it turns out that the alt-right movement have got this thing where they all say the day of the rope is coming. Yeah. And I think they actually do mean it's the day where, you know, the white race is yeah. going to do whatever they think they're going to do. And that's crazy. It's that is... Uh, sorry, I'm going to... I thought I was going to go through this whole episode. Yeah, say it. They're fucking cosplaying Prayer of the Rollerboys. <laughs> These scary racists that are all causing shit in Waiting 2020 and 2021. Again. They're fucking talking about shit from Prayer of the Rollerboys. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that the Day of the Rope is not anything else. It came from this movie. It famously came from this movie. It's it fucking up. blows my mind. Anyway, Pro the Roller Boys is fucking brilliant. It Corey really Haim is fucking brilliant in it. Patricia Arquette's in it. She's pretty good. Yeah. What a film. It is absolutely fantastic. Boys in the Hood. Very good. <laughs> Jumping from one to the other. There you go. Uh, Boys in the Hood is similar to Private Idaho for me. It's a film that I've always just thought was an absolute classic and I've never got around to watching it yep. and I've never seen it. Absolutely so the same. This was the this was the first time. I feel like it might be an early showing of some of these actors as well. Yes. All of whom have gone on to be so, so, so big and influential it's in got their movies. Cuba Gooden Jr. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, it's got uh, Ice, Iced Cube Iced in it. Iced Cube. It's got uh, Larry, oh, Larry Fishburne. Fishburne. I think Larry Fishburne have been in things. He's definitely been in things. Yeah, he must have been in things before, that, um, before his... Uh, you know, beautiful Matrix days. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is um, absolutely brilliant. It's probably doing exactly what New Jack wanted to do, but this time actually doing it a very real... Well, so it's interesting that you real. would say that. You're 100% right, but I would say... I was quite surprised. I thought this film was brilliant. Don't yeah. me wrong. But I would say it's presented way different to what I was expecting. Yeah. There's, there, it, it's really like a Hollywood movie. I don't know why. I always thought it was like this little independent film, but thing, oh, okay. and, it's, and it's very minor things. It's like the soundtrack is all kind of extremely emotional saxophone and pan pipes. Yeah, it's a lot of ballads. I thought it'd be a lot more, and I don't want to sound white. I thought it was gonna be a lot more like gangster rap. Yeah, no, totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was real like, don't shoot him. Yeah. And I'm like, what is it's going on? Ve- and, and actually, the uh, yeah, the acting as well. It's all very, very dramatic. Yeah. And uh, and it works and it's great. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not what I was expecting. But I was you... thinking of this really hard hitting yeah. thing, and in that context, I think it is a bit similar to New Jack City and. But I think there's a point to it 
It, oh, yeah, because I mean, again, it's not subtle about its point. Yeah, yeah, no, but, no, no, no. As in a point to it being all like emotion driven like that, and I think it's to show that like behind all of this like scary gun violence and stuff, these are really young emotional people. Yeah, like when Cuba Goodman is like crying yeah. when he's getting scared of the policeman um, putting a gun to his face. From then on, it's like emotion. Emotion, yeah. emotion, emotion at all it is points. Very, it is very effective, um, they're crying over their friends being shot when this is meant to be an everyday occurrence. Everyone is very emotional about it. No, um, that, and, and I think as well, it's different. You, you view it maybe differently watching it 30 years later. Yeah. Not because those issues have gone away or anything like that, but, but yeah, you're totally They've right. They've just made a really it's, big point of showing these people who everyone in the world thinks is these scary people touting guns in exactly, somewhere yeah. in LA. It's like, actually, no, these are people that are struggling in their community. I thought it was a really good version of showing a snippet of a world. Yeah. And especially given that this is the year that Rodney King gets murdered by the police and the next year of the riots, Mm. I think this is just like a really good snippet of history. Like watching the film now, having it been made in 91, it's like people were so aware of the problem and it's just sad watching it now. They made this film hoping they could shed a light on it. And it's just really sad it's what things, happens things the following year. Yeah, and, it's about yeah. to get really bad. Well, it's it's interesting. There's that scene. It's quite a famous scene where uh, Lawrence Fishburne is talking about gentrification and about how people are trying to push the property prices down in South Central yeah. in order to gentrify it. But, of course, it's so interesting that that was a concern just before those LA riots when that must have put anything like that back... If people were really trying to gentrify South Central <laughs> yeah. after 1992, they were not. No, they were like, get the fuck out. Probably like 20 years, I yeah. would think. And I'm sure it's gentrified now. But like you say, there's these concerns that you can see were about to play out. But there was also a load of concerns that were like, oh, shit, it's, just, it's not a shame that gentrification didn't happen. But it's kind of like, that was a, that almost could have been a better thing yeah. than what actually happened, you know. Again, from high art to more high art, highway to hell. Um, I love this film (laughs) Highway to Hell is a really random film that I just stumbled across and I've absolutely no idea how and the first time I watched it I thought it was fucking brilliant and I have to admit watching it again I was expecting more (laughs) but but it is really cool it's got Ben Stiller in it It and it's got Ben Stiller's dad in it it's kind of like a comedy it's one of those weird films that doesn't really fit into anything I think it's meant to be funny it's definitely meant to be funny (laughs) and it's got horror no question it's got horror elements but it's not a horror movie oh gosh no by any means but it sort of has horror themes and it's more or less about someone that meets a hell cop Hell cop. And uh, the hell cop steals his girlfriend and then he has to go on the highway to hell, which is this other reality, <laughs> and to find his girlfriend. And then he just meets loads it's of a weird people. bit like that people. eerie ending. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, it's very episode. similar in tone and yeah. everything, I think. Um, yeah, I don't think it's very well remembered. No, <laughs> it's know? Chad Lowe, which is Rob Lowe's younger and less attractive brother. Yeah, he's definitely got... He's not got any of the Rob Lowe. No. He's almost... You, you almost, just about know he's related. Well, no, I would say that at a glance, you would think, oh, that's Rob Lowe. But then if you look closer, you're like, mm, no, that's Rob Lowe in like a funky mirror. <laughs> but yeah, Highway to Hell's pretty cool, but we're just going to skip over it because yeah. so much. Go watch it. Slacker, Richard Linklater's first very low-budget film, made in Austin, Texas. One of my favourite films of all time. You've okay. never seen it. No, I've never seen it before. Uh, it's a very unusual film. It doesn't follow one narrative. It follows one person and then if they talk to another person or another person walks past them, then the camera just follows that person. So it's yeah. loads of like vignettes into different people's lives around Austin. Yeah. 
Most of them are kind of hipster, grungy dudes and dudettes. One of them is the drummer from the Butthole Surface. Yeah, the drummer from the Butthole Surface is in it. There's a few sort <laughs> of musicians. He's trying to sell Madonna's pubes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this film when I was really young, and I don't think I really got it from an artistic perspective, but mm. I just thought everything about it was fucking cool. Okay. Like, the town itself is really cool. It's like, it's just a film that I think for a long time I would have liked to have sort of lived in. Yeah. Everybody's really chilled out. I think that the, the I think it has this message about just people that don't have anything to do. Yeah. And it definitely says something about that Generation X, what was going on. Yeah. Probably pre-grunge in a way, because I guess grunge kind of gave everybody, you know, you know grunge culture and the, the way the culture blew up. Yeah. Probably gave everybody kind of something to do. But at this point, it was like a load of just lost young people, but not teenagers or anything, like early 20s. Yeah. People that were very well educated, but just didn't take part in society yeah. whatsoever. And now, I, you know, I see a lot of worth in that. Yeah, it's kind of lifestyle of chosen, <laughs> chosen lifestyle now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did like it. I think at the beginning I was, wasn't sure that I understood it. And then, yeah, I like that kind of little windows into people's lives. And you're right, it is kind of young creative people mixed with people who, you know, the mental person who's walking down the street shouting conspiracy theories intermingled with very real facts there's a and then lot back of, to a conspiracy. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's quite interesting, actually. And I find this, with a lot of stuff from this era, conspiracy theories were really alternative. Mm. And so as a result of that alternativeness, they were kind of cool, I guess. Mm. So they were, you see this in a lot of movies and you see this in a lot of interviews with bands and things like that around this time. They'll throw out, almost in a fun sort of a way, and I think this yeah. film is definitely in a fun sort of way, they'll throw out conspiracy theories that now seem really threatening, that are like proper oh, QAnon things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And at the time, it wasn't seen in that... It didn't have oh, really? that weird mainstream... It wasn't like a load of rednecks believe this. Yeah. It was kind of the cool kids the cool that kids are questioning might. reality a little bit. Yeah, And maybe. I can see the pros in that, like... You know, we all question the government or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, that can sound like a conspiracy theory or it can sound like intellectualism. Yeah. It? Just that specific scene, I thought was quite clever because it was showing really intelligent kids walking around with... I thought he just came off as a bit of a nutter walking down the street. But every now and then it was like really, really wild conspiracy intermingled with some facts. And the mm. fact that the kid is just kind of like... Not telling him to bugger off, but it's just kind of these are the two kinds of people that don't have anything to do, like you say. Yeah. And where do they all kind of like figure it out? It felt very Hastings. Yeah. It felt extraordinarily yeah. Hastings. Yeah. Um, just that kind of here are all the people that aren't working. What are they doing? Just wandering around, uh, walking about. And I loved their, yeah. their attitude to the Making evening. Yeah. There was one bit that was just like, Do you want to go to this gig and then we'll go to a movie? And I was like, Gig and then a film? <laughs> <laughs> You're old. <laughs> what? <laughs> But no, there was, so it's weird that you brought Sorry, it up in that way. No, but there is quite an important aspect. There is a, an aspect of that where it's like these people's time didn't mean anything. Yeah, they're just Which is around. both like good and bad, isn't it? There's that one bit where the guy says, oh, I'm just going to go to BAM. We've got BAM practice in five hours. I'm just going to go and slowly like meander yeah. over there. And there was a lot of those where it's just like, or like they missed the movie and it was just sort of like, I'm going to go into this bookstore and, and we'll meet back for the next show. And it's yeah. like, that's two hours away. Yeah, exactly. You've got to go and have your dinner. But I really, well, they, I really like that attitude though, that no, kind too, of like drifting about. And also the fact that those two people didn't carry on hanging out. They were like, yeah. oh, they were obviously meant to like go and see a film together in some kind of friendship or rom- romantic way. 
And then because they missed it, they both just go, I'll see you in two hours then. And then divvy up again. Yeah. And I was just like, this is just, people just are just dithering about having a nice time. But it's an interesting message because it's more or less saying like our time is completely pointless. Yeah. There's no pressure to do and why to have pressure. And that's a, that's a good thing in as much as it's like, whoa, my life has slowed down. That's one of the things I loved about it. It felt like everyone's life was slow. Yeah. And they didn't worry about anything and there was absolutely no pressure on them. Yeah. But equally, of course, if you life is that slow and you're not worrying about anything, you don't do anything. Yeah. And you become very, you know, boring. But then so does it matter? Did it matter to well, any of these people? And that's the question that the film poses. Oh, <laughs> Do you know what? And it is, it's one of those ones that during it, I was like, I'm just enjoying bumbling along with this. Again, it's so metaphorical. I'm enjoying bumbling along and I'm not really sure why and I don't know what the point is. And then it ends. And then for a second, I'm like, do I understand what the point is? And then when you think back to it, you go, oh, that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> like, I bumbled along to the end. Did it matter? Do I care what any of these people did? Do they care? Mm. It's very nice. Those are the ones that we watched. Yes. I'm just literally going to read this list out and then we're going to go. <laughs> Because there were so many good so fucking many films. films that came out. So, I mean, this is one year of films. Point Break, Delicatessen, Cape Fear, Hot Shots, Drop Dead Fred, Double Impact. That's the first film that Jean-Claude Van Damme plays his own brother in. Does he do that in more than one film? In all of them. He's always himself and someone else. <laughs> the Fisher King. Uh, Naked Gun Two and a Half, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. We oh. didn't even talk about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Nothing but Trouble, which is a oh. fucking classic film. Do you know what oh. Dan Aykroyd actually actively hates it? He should not. No, he's an idiot. He's an idiot. Ghoulies Three, when they go to college, the fucking Ghoulies go to college. <laughs> Killer Nerd, which Kill stars nerd. that guy from American Splendor. I am a nerd. Oh, I am a nerd. I am a nerd. <laughs> And millions more. <laughs> Loads of films. Jesus Christ, too many films. 1991, I think, has broken us. I feel like this is going to be the longest episode of this podcast ever made. Probably the last time cop episode, knowing so, knowing how much no one's going to listen to this one. So I think we're going to have to call it a day. Yeah. I really hope you've stuck with us this long and you've got something out of this episode. <laughs> I apologise if you haven't. Even if you want to message us and tell us how really wasteful of your time it was. That but would even you, be further wasting your time. What are your conclusions? We've talked, we, let's be very brief, but I do think it is incredible how much good shit came out in one year. I'm, I'd be interested to do this in 1990 and 1992, say, yeah. and just see whether it was that this, this continued, whether they were, yeah, or whether it was just this year. It is amazing. A little glimmer of brilliance. Ah. It is It is fantastic how much stuff came out in this year. I think you're dead right. I don't know what... I'd like to go to 1990 to see what led to it. Like, was there a build-up to how incredible this year was? I think, culturally, it's so weird. Just with the few documentaries we watched at the beginning and then what all the films kind of ended up indicating about the time. What it's going to be like moving on from now. Mm. Because it does feel a little bit like we're echoing... Surely we're due a peaceful time soon. Yeah. I mean, um, and hope. all of the signs are there. Is it is everything about to blow up or are we about to have 1992 happen again and, and it would go really bad? Because some would say that we probably are already having that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Culturally, it's really weird and interesting, but all the films and all of the uh, music that came out, it's just insane. I do think it says something about generations, though. I know I've kind of already made this point, Isn't but that's the one thing. It's the one thing that I've I've taken from this is that, like I say, more or less, the people that were born in 1991, maybe they're a bit old, if anything, but they're of age yeah. to be making all the shit that's yeah. coming out now, right? And if you look at 
the people just going through all of those birthdays yeah it was so depressing going through those birthdays the people that were born in 1991 this year when so much incredible shit and i don't think it's just me either i don't think it's this is definitely to my taste and obviously i was of an age where i was particularly susceptible to things and all that kind of stuff but i don't think it's just me i think we can all agree that of all the stuff we've talked about plus all the copious amounts of other stuff that we haven't talked about that there was loads of really incredible shit going on and then to look at the people that are now doing shit who were born in 1991 yeah and it's like two wrestlers and ed sheeran i don't know what that yeah but whatever but (laughs) i don't know what that says about our culture what the last 30 years have done to us as artists and creators and because i'm definitely not saying there's nothing good coming out now and i'm definitely not saying that there's nothing but it's the people who are 30 whatever they would be yeah but it is stark and it's not in the mainstream in the way that when you look at the mainstream because this was all mainstream culture we haven't really gone that underground in any way yeah yeah the it was mainstream... the year the punk broke. I mean, it was you you know, to name the movie that we didn't talk about, even though we, <laughs> we definitely should have. Yeah, go watch it, but it is just Thurston Moore. Ugh, we've seen enough of him in all documentaries. <laughs> but I was thinking, um, do you remember there was a TV programme we watched on Netflix? And I think it was called Dark. And that was about every 33 years, everything repeating. And yeah. I don't think they plucked that number out of nowhere. No, well, that's Just the, to be, isn't 33 a thing? Yeah, to some extent, that's the... Well, it's, 33 is a... Oh, that, no, we're getting on yeah, too much. We can't is, do this. Are we about, going out we're to about, No, yeah. we're about six hours in. Yeah. We'll do an episode about this at some point. Yeah. I'm just saying, generally speaking, I was surprised. That's yeah, okay, cool. We'll leave let's, it at that. <laughs> let's call it a day. Yes. Uh, as ever, you can go and look at our Instagram page at Breakfast Punks Podcast. Of course. Share this. Tell everybody about how amazing <laughs> the last 17 hours of your life has been listening <laughs> to us talk. And seriously, check out 1991 yes. as a year. There's so much good Go shit. Go rediscover all of the films, all of the music, have an enjoyment. And um, we will see you in two weeks' time for a normal episode. For sure. Which will be shorter than this. Much shorter than this. Goodbye. Bye-bye now. Hello to all our lovely Breakfast Punks podcast listeners. Did you know that you can now support us via our Patreon? We have a number of different tiers that you can support us on. And if you give £3 or more, then you will get an extra monthly episode of this very podcast in which you may hear such intellectual nuggets as these. What's the picture that you've taken of your penis where it looks at its very best? (laughs) (laughs) Would you get hard? (laughs) You won the lottery. lottery. (laughs) (laughs) What's your controversial opinions? Social media's going to kill us. I quite like Gary Glitter. What the fuck? (laughs) If you could finger one thing, what, what what would you finger? Oh, you're such a... What? I know. Please do a double fart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he accidentally got me in the, in the nether region. Well. I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this birthday treat, but it feels a bit weird. <laughs> Daniel Filth is on his first date there, <laughs> furiously masturbating to someone's vaginal skin. Maybe I should have stuck with paedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> so sign up now at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast. Thanks for your money.